Welcome back to our second half of our fourth episode regarding the NFL draft. I'm your host, Curtis Henry, as always, here with Mike Rose. And uh, NFC teams had some interesting drafts, Mike. Interesting stuff here. What's got you most fired up about the NFC? I mean, obviously, we're, we're now approaching my favorite team, and also my favorite draft, both coming in the NFC. Also, the worst grade on the board coming up in the NFC. So lots of good stuff here coming up. Yeah, and one thing our listeners at home should be prepared for is Mike is going to praise the Green Bay Packers. This guy oh, yeah. so high on the Packers draft. Honestly, it's shocked me given, given the overall feedback from most of the national media and uh, – and other guys in and around the sport of football, but let's kick this thing off similar to the AFC. Let's start with the, the West Coast teams, NFC West. San Francisco 49ers made it to the Super Bowl in 2019, looking to repeat as NFC champions in 2020. What did you think of this draft, Mike? Um, well, they only had five picks, which was not a lot, but I think they got some really good players. So first pick, obviously, Javon Kinlaw. He's going to – he's the Forrest Buckner, $20 million cheaper. Said that on our – first-round recap, I stand by that. Very good player. He should fit in seamlessly. Brandon Ayuk really kind of lets us know both the two receivers taken by San Francisco in this draft were for Brandon Ayuk and Jawan Jennings. The San Francisco 49ers have a type that they like in their receivers. They like guys who can run after the catch. Brandon Ayuk, most yards after catch in all of draft-eligible receivers. Jawan Jennings, most forced missed tackles of all receivers in Division One last season. Debo Samuel fits that mold. George Kittle, most run after yards after catch of any tight end in the NFL last season. They have a type that they like, and it makes a lot of sense because Jimmy Garoppolo, we saw in the Super Bowl, not great at hitting that long ball. If he would have hit that long ball, they'd be Super Bowl champs right now. He didn't. They, he needs guys to make plays for him after the catch. That's what they got in Ayuk and Jennings. Charlie Warner, nice blocking tight end. They pick up a backup tackle. And they also trade their third-round pick and get Trent Williams, or a future third-round pick and a fifth-round pick, I believe it was, to get Trent Williams. So, overall, I gave it a B-. minus. I did not include Trent Williams in my grade. If I did, probably be a B. Good draft by the Niners. They remain one of the top teams in the NFC. I agree. And I gave them a B without Trent Williams being a factor. If Trent Williams was factored in this for me, it's probably closer to an A- minus because I think they crushed the first round. If you crush your first two to three picks in a draft, the rest really doesn't matter. It does. You shouldn't be drafting six Jake Fromms. But <laughs> from the perspective of your first picks have to be the guys coming in and making an instant impact, the 49ers got two guys who definitely profile and fit that mold. So, for my money, I mean, Brandon Ayuk, we love Brandon Ayuk. Mike Rose, he's nodding his head right now. We love some Brandon Ayuk. And Javon Kinlaw, really interested to see how he does in the NFL. Name that Mike is going to uh, be fond of here. I've watched a little bit more Javon Kinlaw, and someone he really reminds me of on film is Kevin Williams, former Minnesota mm. Viking great. And Mike's nodding his head, I think, in agreement. So I like that. So Javon Kinlaw, we don't often, especially in today's age where fantasy football is huge. We love the skill position guys. They get a lot of the, the glory. Games are still won in the trenches, right? And, and guys like Javon Kinlaw are really important 
to winning football games. So 49ers knowing games are won in the trenches, they go out, they get Javon Kinlaw, they trade for Trent Williams, they solidify both sides of the line. I loved it. I love what the 49ers did here. And I still think that they're far and away the best team in the NFC West, although some other teams may have closed the gap just a little bit. Let's talk one of those teams. The Arizona Cardinals have had a very interesting offseason. They big trade for DeAndre Hopkins, a couple of key free agent acquisitions, and they had an interesting draft. Tell me all about your thoughts, Mike. I really like this draft. I gave this draft a B plus. Their first two picks are just unbelievable values. And really, this, this grade could be closer to an A minus, honestly. Isaiah Simmons at pick eight is a steal. He was one of the probably the three, maybe four, if you're really stretching it, best players in this draft. So an absolute stud there in the first round. Josh Jones, the tackle, which not only fills a huge need for Arizona because their offensive line was just a travesty last year. But in the third round, that is an unbelievable value. There, I know me and you both viewed him as probably a, a day one guy. Mm-hmm. At worst, an early day two guy. Absolutely. He falls into the early third round. Just a remarkable value there. And then Lake Futu, a good player in the trenches, the D-tackle, and Rashad Lawrence as well in the fourth round. And Eno Benjamin is a guy I'm going to be keeping a close eye on because this guy went a lot later than I expected. I think – you know, I don't praise running back picks often. Taking a running back in the seventh round who's as good as, you know, gonna, he's, he's going to be as productive in his NFL career as J.K. Dobbins who went in the second round. I have no problem saying that. You know, wow. Benjamin is a really talented player, and he played at Arizona State. He goes to the Arizona Cardinals. He's going to be a great fit for Cliff Kingsbury's offense. They get him in the seventh round. That's tremendous value. I give this draft a B+. So I'm going to disagree with Mike because he just said Eno Benjamin is going to be as successful as J.K. Dobbins. I think J.K. Dobbins' opportunity alone is going to make him better than Eno Benjamin because Eno Benjamin is signing on to a team that just signed Kenyon Drake to an extension. All right, he was a hoss for them last year. I praised, sung the praises of Kenyon Drake early on in the pod. So I like him in Arizona. I do like Eno Benjamin. As I a do want to just say, though, production wins in Arizona. We know this, and we've learned it very quickly in this regime. They took Josh Rosen. How fast do we go away from Josh Rosen? Because we can get Kyler Murray. David Johnson's on a big contract. Kenyon Drake's the better back right now. Fuck David Johnson last year. That's, that's literally what they said. We, don't care. We, don't, we do not care how much money we're paying this guy. We're not going to play him at all. So if Eno Benjamin shows up and starts producing, Cliff Kingsbury will not hesitate to flip the script and make Eno Benjamin a starter at some point. And I'm not saying he's going to be a starter because I like Kenyon Drake and I like how he fits in that offense, but I think that's a really good two-headed monster that they have there. Uh, title of the episode, potentially, Fuck David Johnson. You, you digging that? Like, I mean, that's literally what they said. Like, they just <laughs> did not give a single shit about David Johnson. <laughs> so we're a little uh, – we're firing on all cylinders early here. I have the Cardinals at an A-. minus. I love the Isaiah Simmons pick. He was a guy who we didn't think was going to be on the board at eight. It turned around in the third round. And uh, Josh Jones, another pick that we didn't think was going to be on the board, as you alluded to. So great value there. And we talked a lot in the first half of this about the Utah Utes defense. There's a case that Lakey Fotu, um, other than the safeties that were picked from Utah, Lakey Fotu might have been the best player on that defense. And there he goes to Arizona in the fourth round. So their first three picks were all go to the tape. Mike's, Mike's a little eh about that. 
Because well, the, there's a couple guys I really like from that Utah defense that we're going to get to in this episode because they were drafted IFC team. So I'll just I'll continue with that when we get to them. That's valid. But honestly, Arizona just did an incredible job with the value. And it sucked that they went from pick eight to pick 72 without any picks. But then I was reminded, oh, yeah, their second round pick was DeAndre Hopkins, who's one of the greatest football players I've ever seen. DeAndre Hopkins, Mike knows my affinity for this guy. I have two DeAndre Hopkins jerseys, and I'm getting a third because now he plays for the Cardinals. So I have one jersey that I wore to death of his uh, that has cracks in the numbers because I outgrew it, got fat, was wearing it when I shouldn't be. Another jersey that came in fresh, it was the clean Houston white one. Then he gets traded, so now I have to get the, uh, the Cardinals Hopkins jersey. But this guy is absolutely incredible. He's one of the most acrobatic receivers uh, I've ever seen play the game. And really, him being traded for – a second round pick was just straight jokes. Bill O'Brien is horrible at his job. Fire him. I, I Mike over under uh, one year remaining in Houston for Bill O'Brien. He just got a promotion though. We, we just gave the guy a promotion. So I'm going to take the over because they're nuts. They love this guy for no reason. Let's just remember for a second. If they don't pull off what is, I wouldn't call it miraculous, but a big comeback on the Buffalo Bills. They're out in the first round. Bill O'Brien looked like an absolute clown and got coached out of the gym by Sean McDermott in that game. And Deshaun Watson came and saved him again, like he often does ever since Deshaun Watson got there, really. What did they do to reward Bill O'Brien's incompetence? They gave him the full-time general manager job. So, I mean, maybe he'll be the owner by next year. I think by making him the GM – they put more pressure on Bill O'Brien and subsequently when he fails because he will, because he's incompetent. I, I think there comes a point where Deshaun Watson doesn't save the day and Bill O'Brien is the fall guy. So my problem is I still think they're going to be a playoff team, especially <laughs> with seven playoff teams. Like Deshaun Watson's probably going to get him in the playoffs. So are you going to fire the guy who coached you to the playoffs again? Cause that's the decision they're eventually going to have to make because unless Deshaun Watson gets hurt, I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs. I don't know, kind of like a Mark Jackson Golden State Warriors situation where what you got is good, but it's not going to take you to the mountaintop. to Mark Jackson. To compare Love to Mark Jackson. Yeah, we're he's talking way, way too much yes, about yes, the yes, AFC yes. team right now. Sorry, but <laughs> Mark Jackson, yeah, we this will happen. We will get tangential. Mark Jackson, much more competent in his role than Bill O'Brien ever has been. Super but Mark Jackson got the Warriors to the playoffs back-to-back three years in a row, what was it, before he got fired? And then Steve Kerr comes in and wins the championship. Whoever takes over this Houston Texans team after Bill O'Brien is going to show just how incompetent Bill O'Brien was because I'm assuming that the next guy is just going to be average and the Texans are going to win 13 games and suddenly be in a Super Bowl. So we're going to see about it. We got to move on. Uh, Moral of the story, somehow we got so far away from this. Arizona Cardinals crushed the draft, limited picks. <laughs> good team, good players. Mike is on the call right now just laughing his ass off. Next team in the NFC West, the Seattle Seahawks. Let's talk about it. I thought Seattle had rock-solid picks through about the first four rounds. It was nothing that jumped off the page, but Jordan Brooks, Daryl Taylor, Damian Lewis, uh, they all fit the mold of Pete Carroll's guys. And I think they're going to help Seattle win football games. Yeah, I mean, I look at this draft, I gave it a C-. And really, it's just a matter of, you're right, they took a bunch of 
Seattle guys. And if you watch Seahawks play, you know what we're talking about. Jordan Brooks will fit right into that scheme. He's very KJ Wright-esque. He's a tackle machine. Daryl Taylor coming off the edge. He should be a nice pass rusher for them. Damian Lewis, another another guard. They just cut two linemen yesterday, so he should fit in, compete for a job early. They love tight ends and running backs. So they take Colby Parkinson and DJ Dallas. But really, I think they reach with their first five picks. And when you reach with your first five picks, I can't really give you a very generous grade. Alton Robinson was, was a nice pick uh, in the fifth round. I think that was a good value. Steven Sullivan is an interesting one in round seven also. He was Thaddeus Moss's backup. Thaddeus Moss goes undrafted. Steven Sullivan gets drafted in the seventh round, and he was a former wide receiver who kind of just got lost in the shuffle at LSU, became a tight end, got lost in the shuffle at tight end. But I think he's got a little bit of ability, so it'll be interesting to see how Seattle utilizes him if he is able to uh, crack a roster spot there. Yeah, and I don't disagree that uh, Seattle reached with their first few picks. But in the NFL draft, especially when you pick late in rounds, and Seattle always picks late in rounds because they're a perennial playoff team, occasionally you have to reach to get your guys. And I think coming in, because of the way the process went this year, uh, Seattle was fixated on a few guys, and they had to make sure they got them at all costs. And, uh, And I think they did that. Now, Steve Sullivan, I'm glad you brought his name up because somebody he reminds me of, and Mike's going to roll his eyes, Steve Sullivan reminds me of another tight end slash receiver in that division, Dan Arnold. And Dan Arnold is an athletic freak, and I think 2020 might be the breakout campaign for Dan Arnold in Arizona because Arizona did not draft the tight end. Because they don't use tight ends. Cliff Kingsbury plays nine receivers before he's going to put a tight end on the field. Yeah, but this this offseason, you know what Dan Arnold is now listed as? A wide receiver. He's still not going to play. So we're going to see how he gets used. But Dan Arnold is a guy I've been very irrationally high on since he started his journey in New Orleans. And And now the Arizona Cardinal. Uh, Steven Sullivan, I think he's of the same mold as just he's interesting. He's an athletic freak, and I think he's going to – you're going to hear his name at least once because he's going to have a key touchdown at some point in time. Might not materialize into anything consistent, but that's my take on this guy. And my overall grade on the Seahawks, I think – I don't know if I mentioned it. C+. I I think they just – yeah, as you mentioned, they reached a little bit early and often, but I didn't hate any of their selections. It wasn't Justin Herbert at six. Uh, right, and most of, most of these guys are probably. I mean, I look at these first couple picks, and I could see Brooks, Taylor, and Lewis all coming in and being day one starters. So that's not the worst thing in the world. I just don't think you you didn't hit a lot of home runs with this draft. You got a bunch no. of guys. You got a yeah. bunch of guys who are going to be rotational players, and I mean that's just kind of that. Yeah, and I think the studs on Seattle's roster are kind of already set in stone. Uh, you think on the offensive side of the ball, they have. Russell Wilson, they have Chris Carson, they have Tyler Lockett, they have DK Metcalf. They like that group of guys. You look at the defense. That unit, since the Legion of Boom, has constantly been evolving. In their first three picks, they kind of they went after that front seven on the defense, which really needed some work. So I think Daryl Taylor and Jordan Brooks should be a key part in revamping that front seven that needed help. It's going to be interesting. I thought at pick 27 – a guy like Patty Queen was still on the board, and I think he's a better fit than Jordan Brooks. So we'll see how this pans out. 
Uh, we got to move on. I think Jordan – I just my final thoughts are, I think Jordan yeah. Brooks actually is a better fit for Seattle right now than Patty Queen because Patty Queen is very much more like a Bobby Wagner. And it's not like it's bad to have two Bobby Wagners, but I think Jordan Brooks fills that void next to Wagner a little better than Queen does right now. Also, just another parting thought on Seattle, just while we're talking about them, underrated signing that they had right around the draft that kind of went unnoticed. Bruce Irving, who was really productive for Seattle for a lot of years, is back in Seattle. Yeah. He hasn't done a goddamn thing since he left Seattle, but you know how that is sometimes. We saw it with Jamie Collins. He was in New England. He was great. He left New England. He stunk. Went back last year. He was like an all-pro. So these things kind of just work that way sometimes where guys are really good fits for their team. Keep an eye on Bruce Irving this year. Yeah. And we got to move on. A team that captivated me with their first couple of picks was the Los Angeles Rams because I thought they took guys who were great fits in Cam Akers and Van Jefferson on day two. What do you think about the Rams class, Mike? In kind of a poor man's Colts class almost, I want to say. I didn't give it nearly as good as great as the Colts because their first-round pick was not as useful as the Colts and Forrest Buckner. I know they got Jalen Ramsey, but they that was a mess with how they did that, so I thought that was stupid. Anyways, yeah. on to this actual class. Cam Akers – Listen, folks, let me tell you, I absolutely love Cam Akers. And I'll just tell you, Cam Akers, my favorite running back in this draft. There's not a guy you can convince me that's actually better than Cam Akers. And poor Cam Akers just rotted behind the absolute worst offensive line I've ever seen try and block. In college football last year at Florida State, they were a disaster. Willie Taggart was an awful football coach, and he has since been fired. So, Cam Akers, I'm happy that hopefully he will get some sort of confidence with Sean McVay calling the plays for him. Van Jefferson, an interesting one, because he's a guy that I thought would go a little later at the wide receiver position, and it's not necessarily because I thought he was not good, because I actually like Van Jefferson, the player. I just thought with the wide receiver class, I thought he was a little lower on the board. He goes in the second round. I like the fit in L.A. I think he jumps over Josh Reynolds on that depth chart and becomes a new number three wide receiver in a team that uses a lot of three wide receiver sets. Terrell Lewis, Ed Rusher. He might be able to have a little bit of impact. Bryson Hopkins, interesting tight end project, but they have Everett and Higby, so I don't really know how much of an impact he'll have right away. Terrell Burgess, the safety, nice player. Jordan Fuller is a guy who I like. He played in a stacked Ohio State secondary. In case you didn't know, the whole secondary gets drafted from Ohio State literally every year. He was a part of that group. I think he, he's a little undervalued in round six. And they take a kicker, which is kind of interesting because Greg Zerline's on a pretty big contract, if I'm not mistaken. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on what they want to do there. So fun fact, Greg Zerline now plays for the Dallas Cowboys. So my co-host just choked. Wow. I, okay. I'll tell you, I had absolutely no idea of that fact. I never read that in a single spot. So as a Greg Zerline uh, di- fantasy football dynasty owner in multiple Wowzer. leagues, we love Greg Zerline in Dallas, especially with what they've done with that offense. So, Although, I will note, I guess that makes a lot of sense because, like I said, he was on a big contract. The Rams were trying to cut costs this offseason. So I guess that was a logical place to do it. I just had no idea it happened. So yes. I apologize for my uh, lack of knowledge in that area. Does that influence your grade at all? Maybe a half letter? No, not really. Just a kicker? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's still just a kicker. I just thought it was an interesting pick. I was just going, no, wow, I can't believe they would take a kicker with their good line. But they don't have a kicker, so kids probably got a good shot to win the starting job. Apparently, Austin McGinnis from the XFL is also a Ram, so I guess that's a pretty open competition there. We'll see uh, what they can get done. I had no idea Greg Zerline went to the Cowboys. That's yeah. fantastic, actually. So, Cowboys had a hell of an offseason. Yeah, they did, and we'll talk about Dallas later on. But for my buddy, I loved the Rams draft class because – I 
love Cam Akers. At the start of the offseason, this is about January, bowl season's wrapping up. I'm so high on DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor. And Mike Mike Rose just says, you, wa- you wait, Cam Akers. And I'm looking at the numbers of Cam, Cam Akers, and this is what I do. For my top prospects, I look at a lot of numbers. So, obviously, a guy like Jonathan Taylor, he rushes for 2,000 yards every year. He jumps off the page at you. Cam Akers was a 1,000-yard guy the last two years. Super underwhelming on a Florida State team that's been incredibly mediocre, not living up to the the tradition that Florida State football really has and has had for about four decades. So, if you're a college football casual like myself, you didn't watch a lot of Cam Akers because the Florida State Seminoles stunk. So, we, what did we do? We went to the tape. Cam Akers, he jumps on the film. And this is why Mike Rose loves the guy. Because he is so agile. It, it's really disrespectful to ever compare anybody. You're going right? to say Barry Sanders. I'm going to say Barry Sanders. It's really disrespectful to ever – compare anybody to Barry Sanders, especially running back, who has yet to play it down in the NFL. But Cam Akers and Barry Sanders, I feel like they're cut from the same cloth. That's, I think, my phrase of the week. Because Cam Akers is incredibly agile. I think he's a great fit for the Los Angeles Rams. This year, I would anticipate him and Daryl Henderson kind of having an even split and seeing how I just really like Daryl Henderson. I do like Daryl Henderson. I don't like Daryl Henderson as much as I like Cam Akers. But after uh, Akers' rookie season, I would expect him to be the guy in Los Angeles. Uh, What would an NFL comparison to Cam Akers be for you, Mike Rose? Well, it's not Barry Sanders. I know that much. That was a little little much for me. Um, I got to think about this, though, because you put me on the spot. I didn't get to, you know – prepare ahead of time of a good NFL comparison that I would like. I, he reminds me of Joe Mixon. He reminds me of Joe Mixon a lot too because Joe Mixon is also a guy who didn't do a lot in college, but we all knew the talent was there, and he just never got the opportunity, I feel like, to really excel to the highest level in college. Then he went to Cincinnati. I'm not saying Cincinnati's done a good job with Joe Mixon, but he went to Cincinnati, he got the opportunity to at least succeed, and he's thrived there in Cincinnati. And I think Joe Mixon – uh, very agile as well. And I'm, once again, I don't think Cam Akers is agile as Barry Sanders, so that's why I'm not quite with you on that level. But Cam Akers, Joe Mixon, I think that's a valid comparison. Both nice pass catchers, but not super skilled pass catchers. I think those two remind me a lot of each other. That's valid. I'm not going to uh, to disagree. I, I prefaced my comparison by saying I knew it was a reach. We're going to move on for the second time. This is a team that I think has skyrocketed with regard to – NFL teams that are contenders. And I'm talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because the last couple weeks, really the last month and a half since Brady signed, could not have gone better for Tampa Bay. What do you think of this draft class? I have them very high on my list. I mean, let's just be honest. Tampa Bay's had the best offseason of anybody. Like, it, it doesn't really get better than what they've been able to do. So, yeah, Tom Brady, yeah, Rob Gronkowski. That's fantastic. You go to the draft and you just hit home runs. Tristan yep. Wirfs, absolute stud. They only have to move up one spot to get him in, in that little trade that they made, so they didn't lose a lot in that trade. Yep. And he really just falls into his lap. A guy that we both had projected as top five picks falls into their lap at 13. Turn around the second round, Antoine Winfield Jr. I know you love this guy. I also love this guy. He's a do-it-all safety. If the name sounds familiar, yes, this is Antoine Winfield, the longtime NFL cornerback son. 
really, really talented guy. He's a great, great coverage safety. He's going to play that center field safety for you. He can step up into the box and make plays. He can play some nickel corner. Love Antoine Winfield Jr. Keyshawn Vaughn is interesting. And so, you talked about Curtis likes Daryl Henderson. I love Ronald Jones. And I think Ronald Jones has a great opportunity to thrive at Tampa Bay. I think Keyshawn Vaughn is a really good compliment to Ronald Jones. I think it was telling in Tampa Bay that with the quality second round running back still on the board, they didn't go running back in the second round. They went Winfield instead because safety wasn't a huge need. It was a need, but it wasn't a huge need in Tampa Bay. They go Winfield, and they turn around the third round and get their running back. Vaughn's a good pass-catching back. He had 1,000 yards his final year at Vanderbilt. I think him and Ronald Jones are a really good one-two punch together. Tyler Johnson, I mean, talk about an absolute steal. Tyler Johnson is a guy, I'll just tell you, just to give you some perspective on how I view Tyler Johnson, I was working on a big board for our dynasty football league that we do of my rookie rankings for the wide receivers. Tyler Johnson, and this was – around combine time when I filled this out. Tyler Johnson was my number seven receiver on my board in terms of expected fantasy production for me. So I really thought he had a high upside at the next level. He turns around, he now gets to go play the slot with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. I couldn't picture a better spot for Tyler Johnson to land than in Tampa Bay. They had, uh, uh, they had another running back in the seventh round, Raymond Calias. He's got a shot to make the team, I think, with Peyton Barber being gone. and he, he might be able to mix, work in the mix as well in Tampa Bay. Overall, I gave him a B plus. I love this draft. I think Tyler Johnson in the fifth round was an absolute steal. I think they hit an absolute home run with their first four picks of this draft. You just read my notes, like verbatim. So I don't, <laughs> I don't have much to add here on the Tampa Bay box. I have them at an A minus. I was a little bit higher on them than Mike. You're a little bit higher on everybody. I was pretty harsh. I'm, I'm pretty stingy with my grades. I got to be honest. Yeah. So I, I went back and forth between B plus and A minus. I just thought that Tristan Wirfs, Antoine Winfield were perfect picks. I thought Antoine Winfield was somebody that we might see go pick 18 ish, maybe Miami in that first round. So he fell about 25, 30 picks down the draft board and was just a great value in the second round. Keyshawn Vaughn, I am not a Ronald Jones apologist. I'm not a Ronald Jones believer. I really don't have a lot of positive things to say about Ronald Jones other than he showed drastic improvements from year one to year two. But that's not saying a whole lot because year one for Ronald Jones was one of the worst performances in recent memory for any rookie running back. So he also didn't get the ball, but that's beside the point. Because he was garbage, the dude got beat out by Peyton Barber, who is not good. So. Keyshawn Vaughn here, third round. I think Mike said he takes it as a positive note that they have some belief in Ronald Jones. They didn't go after a Cam Akers who was still on the board. They didn't go after a J.K. Dobbins who was still on the board there at 45. But for me, Bruce Arians does not believe in running backs. He is a plug-and-play running back guy, so he doesn't really believe in taking them early. Third round for a guy like Keyshawn Vaughn, still a little bit early. I had a fourth or a fifth round grade on him. He runs hard. He runs between the tackles, catches the ball well. I think he is a great compliment to Ronald Jones. because I think the key here, and I just want to budge in, is that they didn't have a fourth round pick after that trade up. So I think even though we both kind of agree Keyshawn Vaughn was probably a fourth round guy, I think to them they're like, this is the running back we like here at this spot. We got to get him now. We're not going to get him at all. Yeah, and they didn't plan to trade back up and waste more of uh, their volume of picks. So, right. because that would have cost them a guy like Tyler Gonson. So, Keyshawn Vaughn. Keyshawn Vaughn is what the Buccaneers wanted Peyton Barber to be the last couple of years. 
and it just didn't happen because Peyton Barber is not good. Not so, so Keyshawn Vaughn, I think Mike is convinced that Ronald Jones is going to light the world on fire this year. He's going to have 1,500 yards, fantasy football, RB1. He's going to trade him for three first-round picks. But That's not true at all. But I think a more realistic scenario is Ronald Jones, Keyshawn Vaughn. They have maybe a 60-40 timeshare with uh, Dario Gunbowale and maybe this kid Raymond Calais playing a little bit for Tampa Bay. And uh, it's going to be a committee backfield for Tampa Bay again in 2020. Ronald Jones, again, jury is still out. He showed big-time improvement from year one to two. Got to see more improvement in year three. Otherwise, we're probably looking at a guy who's going to end up a career backup for whatever organization he lands on his second contract. We got to move on. Any Final closing thoughts on the ball? Aaron Goombawale yeah. is probably not going to make the team. Yeah. Because I think Keyshawn Vaughn, because I don't think Ronald Jones is a great pass catcher. He's a good pass catcher. He's not a great pass catcher. Keyshawn Vaughn is a good pass catcher. And that was really Ngumbawale's only reason of being there last year is that Jones and Barber were not great pass catchers. Narians likes to have a guy who can catch passes out of the backfield. So Ngumbawale is probably gone, in my opinion. Because he's, he's really just doesn't bring much. Like, he ran his rushing totals last year. He ran for 17 yards on 11 carries. Like, that's just horrible. So he probably doesn't have a spot on the roster. Fair. Atlanta Falcons, Mike. I don't have a lot of thoughts on Atlanta, and I don't have a lot of positive thoughts on Atlanta. What did you think of uh, what really was a limited group that they took with their six picks? I don't hate it. I don't love it. I gave them a C plus. It, it's, it's a nice group they drafted. A.J. Terrell, a little early for me at pick 16 the first round, but I think he fit, fills a need, and I think he's going to be a, a nice NFL corner for a lot of years. Marlon Davidson, I think, is a good value. I had him as their best pick in the second round. I really like Marlon Davidson on that defensive line uh, at Auburn. I think he brings a, a lot of juice to that Atlanta front. Put him next to Grady Jarrett. I think they're in good shape there. Uh, Matt Hennessy, the center, I think he could come right in and be a eventual starter for them uh, fairly quickly. I like Hennessy a lot. I was actually hoping the Vikings would take Matt Hennessy to shore up their offensive line. Uh, Mikel Walker, inside linebacker, uh, he, he might be a nice uh, special team guy initially. Same thing for Jalen Hawkins, the safety. And in round seven, they get a punter, and who doesn't love round seven punters? So overall, a game of C+. Plus. Nothing uh, too exciting in this Atlanta draft, but I think uh, with their first couple picks, they get a couple nice defensive starters, and God knows that that defense needs all the help it can get. So, quick note, Sterling Hoffrichter, the uh, the punter, he's actually a, a Kyer Vedvik mold. He's a, he's a punter slash kicker. ESPN actually lists him as a kicker out of Syracuse. And uh, Atlanta, I just – Mike said he's a lot harsher with these grades for me. I gave Atlanta a D. And A.J. Terrell, for me, was a reach. I didn't like him at all uh, in the first round. I think there were other better corners on the board. We talked about the the second tier of corners beyond Jeff Okuda and C.J. Henderson kind of being a conglomerate of guys of varying skill sets who were really, you know, take your pick between uh, cornerback three and cornerback nine in this draft. You could justify any of those guys as your quarterback three. A.J. Terrell was the guy that Atlanta justified at quarterback three. For me, didn't like it. Thought he was a reach. Thought Matt Hennessy also a reach. He was a guy I had a fifth-round-ish grade on out of Temple. And uh, Atlanta, they have so many holes. And when it comes to the seventh-round picks, we talk about liking kicker and punter and long snapper in the sixth and seventh rounds. 
that's for me with the caveat that you have more than six picks in the NFL draft. If you're taking a kicker in the seventh round when you only have six picks, that means you really only had five picks because you could have just signed a, a kicker out of undrafted free agency. So Atlanta just really, I, I didn't like much about this draft. Marlon Davidson in the second good value there, but D for Atlanta, I think they had uh, some pressing needs that didn't get filled. So we're going to move on. Uh, and well, I think that uh, I, I want to respond to what you said there because I think yeah. you were a little harsh. Um, I, I, I'm just curious because I think if you're Atlanta and AJ Terrell's number one corner on her board, I think corner was by far the most pressing need on this roster. Yes. But when I look at the roster after that, you know, they add nice depth in Davidson and uh, up front and they add offensive wind up in Hennessy. I had a much higher grade on than you did. But overall, I'm just kind of curious, where else would you have rather see them address with these picks? Because, uh, you know, I look at the Atlanta roster, and I think if they stay healthy, I think they're on the edge of potentially being a playoff team this year. So I'm just kind of curious. Sure. So Atlanta, on the offensive side of the ball, I think we can agree that currently Atlanta has a lot of playmakers. They have Matt Ryan, they have Julio Jones, they have Todd Gurley. My issue is none of those guys are getting any younger. And they lost Austin Hooper in free agency this year. And they went out and got a Hayden Hurst, who I don't really know how to value Hayden Hurst at this point in time. He's shown flashes in Baltimore, but he's a guy who got drafted at 26 years old. So how much better is Hayden Hurst actually going to get at this point in his career? That's my question mark there. I would have liked to see him chase after a tight end in the middle rounds. I think they could have drafted a running back because we, we both have concerns about Todd Gurley's knees, and I don't think they have a good running back in place behind Gurley right now. So that was a question mark for me. And as much as we trashed the Jake Fromm scenario, if Atlanta had taken Jake Fromm with their second pick in the fourth round where they took Jalen Hawkins, I would have liked it because I think Jake Fromm can actually learn a lot from Matt Ryan. That's probably his best landing spot he's a Georgia guy through and through he's familiar with the Falcons organization and Matt Ryan is a guy who can teach him how to play the quarterback position to at least a barely competent backup level so I think those are the areas where I would have gone and you factor in things like Julio Jones isn't getting any younger right and Atlanta was one of that's why we drafted Kelvin Ridley in the first round no Yes, but beyond Kelvin Ridley, who do they have there? Russell Gage? Like, I'm a big Russell Gage guy, and I still don't think he's the truth. Well, they signed Laquan Treadwell. Oh, thank God for that. So, Atlanta, I think that Atlanta, in a really ridiculously deep wide receiver class, was one of three teams that didn't draft a wide receiver, and they're going to need one. So, if it's something they target in the 2021 draft, that's fine with me, but really, that's that's my perspective on – Atlanta's needs that were not met in this draft. I can understand we're coming from a running back because I, I'm not huge on the running backs after Gurley right now, which is concerning given what Todd Gurley's knees look like. My counterpoint would be, and I'm, you know, this is maybe a guy who's not on your radar because he played a whole one preseason game last year. Kurt Benkert, quarterback out of Virginia. He was a rookie last year. He got hurt in the Hall of Fame game, was out for the entire season. He was probably going to win that backup quarterback job over Matt Schaub. He's a guy I think Atlanta likes a lot and I think he potentially at some point maybe is the heir apparent to Matt Ryan maybe not but right now I think he could develop into a nice backup for them and he's a young guy he's a cheap guy and Kurt Ben Kurt's better than Jake Fromm so there's just I mean I'm not going to dispute that I don't know a lot about uh, what's the name Kurt Ben Kurt Kurt Ben Kurt great name yeah elite name uh I think we can put him in the name hall of fame we'll talk about that later on but 
for my money, I, I don't know if you agree. The skill positions in Atlanta, they're not getting any younger. Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, they have a need at tight end. Uh, and I would say also at tight end, my other thing would be, I think all the tight ends in this class stunk, really, for the most part. So unless you were going to go take Cole Komet in the second round, which the Bears, the Bears have to have all the tight ends, so you couldn't do that. I don't really see where a tight end would have made sense because Hayden Hurst, I know, you know, he's not getting any younger. You can say whatever you want. But Hayden Hurst has a lot of talent, I think, and I think if he was anywhere besides Baltimore, he probably would have been a starting tight end last year in a lot of spots. So, you know, he just kind of caught, caught up behind Mark Andrews. I think he'll do a good job in that line of offense. And Jaden Graham is a guy who showed flashes last year alongside Austin Hooper. And I don't know if any tight ends that they would have drafted would have beat either of those guys out for reps. That's fair. That's fair. That's just when I looked through the uh, the scope of that team and their uh, how they were made up, That those were the things that I – kind of marked down as things that they needed to address through the NFL draft. But my opinion of their team is definitely different than their opinion of their team. In defense, the defensive side of the ball was definitely a priority. I won't chastise them for that. But even on the defensive side, they made a couple questionable choices. So D-grade D for the Falcons. We're moving on. Any closing thoughts or do you want to talk New Orleans? Let's talk New Orleans. So New Orleans Saints, even more of a dearth of picks – than the Atlanta Falcons. They only made four selections throughout this entire NFL draft. But I liked what they did with them. What are your thoughts? Uh, so I gave New Orleans a C plus, and I went back and forth on this grade. And I like the first two guys off the board for them. Cesar Ruiz, he should be a day one starter, interior lineman, center guard. He, he should be a long-term starter in New Orleans for a lot of years. Zach Vaughn around three, great value. I think he's a nice edge rusher. He should be able to come in, share some snaps with Marcus Davenport, who they gave up a first-round pick a couple years ago to draft, and he's done absolutely nothing. So that was a great job by New Orleans a couple years ago. And so then this is where I have some questions. So they traded every pick they had on day three to trade up into the end of the third round to take Adam Troutman, which was interesting, and is a tight end out of date, and he's an athletic guy. You know, maybe Sean Payton thinks he can turn him into Jimmy Graham. But I don't think he was worth giving up four picks for. And listen, if anyone can, is in a position to give up four picks, New Orleans Saints are probably one of them because they have one of the best rosters in all football, incredibly deep. I, I get it. I understand what their, their goal was. But that one was real questionable. And then after not having any picks on day three, they trade into the seventh round so they can secure the rights to quarterback Tommy Stevens. And with the news that Jameis Winston is signing with New Orleans, there is zero shot Tommy Stevens is making this roster. Practice so squad. Why in the world do you trade back in and give up future draft assets to draft a guy who's going to go on your practice squad? Nobody was taking Tommy Stevens. Let's just be real. It wasn't going to happen. He was going to go on drafts. If you want Tommy Stevens so damn bad, he's a quarterback. I'm sure he would love to go play for you, Sean Payton. It's not that hard to convince quarterbacks to come there. It really isn't. I promise. You could just sign him an undrafted free agency. So I give it a C plus. Bon, Ruiz, good players. They should help the Saints immediately. And what's one of the deepest rosters in the league? Troutman, Stevens, I'm just a little confused. So I'm a little more bullish on the Saints than Mike was. I gave him a B. And one thing I talked about earlier on is if you hit on your first two to three picks, the rest doesn't matter as much. And I, I'm much more bullish. No rest anyways to begin with. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm much more bullish on Cesar Ruiz than Mike is. He, I think his only critique is that 
he doesn't like interior linemen being drafted in the first round if you have other needs. But the New Orleans Saints really didn't have other needs. They needed an interior offensive lineman. You got to keep Drew Brees upright at age 40. I think they saw a need. They filled it with the best guy on the board. I still had a first-round grade on Cesar Ruiz. I didn't have an issue with it. Zach Bond. Cesar Ruiz was a guy who went pick 24. Zach Bond is a guy I had mocked at pick 23 to the New England Patriots. So about the same value, and they got him two rounds later. So I love Zach Bond. I thought he was uber productive at Wisconsin. Fact check me, I think he had 14 sacks last year, 13 or 14 sacks. And he, I want to say he was first team all Big Ten. I had A.J. Epinesa, the guy the Bills took. So fact check me on both Twelve and a half sacks. Twelve and a half sacks, and you get me if he was uh, first team all Big Ten. Loved Zach Bond out of Wisconsin there in the third round. Adam Troutman, I didn't hate the pick because I think the Saints are a tight end factory. When you look at Jimmy Graham, when you look at – they got – You can't name me another guy that came out of there. Okay, Jared out. Cook, listen, listen, listen to this. Jared Cook has had for so long, literally 15 years, we have been saying – Jared Cook's interesting this year from a fantasy football perspective, from a logistics perspective, and he's never lived up to the hype at any of his landing spots, whether it was Tennessee or Oakland or Green Bay. Zach Bond made third team, by the way. Third team. Sorry. Jared Cook hops around the league, never lives up to his potential, and he goes to New Orleans last year at age 35, and he has a great season. And they fostered Jimmy Graham, Jared Cook. You got guys like Sean – what's his name? Sean Hill? Josh Hill? Josh Hill. Josh Hill. <laughs> yeah, Sean Hill is a quarterback, right? So Josh Hill has been productive at New Orleans in times. Drew Brees knows how to throw to tight ends. And I'm so, just big time calling you out here, though. Adam first Troutman. Of all, first of all, Jared Cook's 32 years old, not 35. He, Put some respect on this guy's age. Second of all, Jared Cook last year had 705 yards, and he scored a bunch of touchdowns because he played at New Orleans. The year before that in Oakland, he had 896 yards and six touchdowns. Jared Cook has one, two, three other seasons of, or excuse me, four other seasons of 600 plus receiving yards. Jared Cook has been a productive player for a lot of years. We're not going to pretend like this is not the case. So you can, you can hold all that with this Jared Cook got maximized in New Orleans or whatever you're trying to play up here. Cause it makes so absolutely no sense. Jared Cook is actually 33 years old and we're He's 33 now. Sure. He was 32 last year. So well, Mike and I are both just. Uh, well, I was correct. You said they max 35-year-old. It was 32-year-old Jared Cook in the Saints last year, not 33-year-old. So, Jared Cook, the point is, dude's not getting any younger. So, they <laughs> went out, they get... They get end factory. They get Troutman, and I will, I will die on the hill. The, the New Orleans Saints tight end in fantasy football. Ben Watson, Jimmy Graham, Jared Cook. So, you're looking you at this from the tight ends. wrong perspective. You're saying they're good for fantasy purposes. That's yes. not the point. They don't develop tight ends that well. Drew Brees is just the damn quarterback, and he's got the most touchdowns in NFL history. Of course the guy catching pass from him is good. So are you going to dispute the fact that when Jared Cook moves on after this season, that when Adam Jared Troutman isn't on... going to achieve success in New Orleans? Yeah, I am going to dispute that because you know what's going to happen? They're going to realize Adam Troutman's not worth it. And Drew Brees probably won't be there. So it's going to be Taysom Hill throwing the ball because Taysom Hill's the next Steve Young, according to Sean Payton. And it's going to be a disaster. And Sean Payton's going to get fired. And the Saints are going to suck for a couple years and then they'll figure it out later. All right. So there's a lot to take in right now. We're off the rails. 
Here's Play. the history of Sean Payton and tight end success. Early 2000s, Sean Payton is in New York. And you know who he has? Jeremy Shockey. Jeremy Shockey, under Sean Payton, becomes an all-pro tight end. 2003, goes to Dallas. You know who he converts into an all-pro tight end at Dallas? Jason Witten. You know who was an all-pro tight end after Sean Payton left? Jason Witten. Yeah, because Sean Payton molded Jason Witten into what he is, which is a Hall of Famer. Sean Payton is great at developing tight ends. You can't convince me otherwise. 2006, he shows up. He's got Billy Miller, and he's got Eric Johnson, and he's making them productive tight ends. And then Jimmy Graham gets drafted in 2010. From 2011 to 2014, Jimmy Graham has – Arguably the most success ever at the tight end position uh, with a couple of his seasons. I'm looking at you, Gronk, if you can stay healthy. But Jimmy Graham had Gronk probably – five straight ten touchdown seasons. So we're, we're done with this conversation. Look, no, look, no, 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 no. Listen to me, okay? This is, this is not Max Kellerman talking. Jimmy Graham's uh-huh. run from 2011 to 2014, find me a better statistical run other than maybe Travis Kelsey the last five years. Find me one because Jimmy Graham – was absurd during that stretch. Well, first of all, 2010, he didn't do anything. So if we're counting that, like this is from 2011 to 2014, that's the time frame I provided. Okay. Well, he had two monster seasons and then two nice seasons. I mean, Gronk did that every year. I don't understand. Uh, Gronk can't stay on the field every year. That's a whole, we've gotten so far off the rails. Point of this, Adam Troutman, future hall of famer. Don't at me. (laughs) <laughs> and I, wonder, wait, I have one more thought on the Saints. They didn't draft a wide receiver. Emmanuel Sanders is like 39 at this point off a torn Achilles. Okay, you're going to call me out for Jared Cook when I was two years old. Yeah, off. I just gave Emmanuel, Emmanuel Sanders, Sanders 10 30, years. 32. So relax. Emmanuel Sanders is old. He had a torn Achilles and he gets hurt. And the number one guy after him is Trey Quan Smith, who's awful, which is why Emmanuel Sanders is here. So they could have used a young wide receiver to bring in develop because Sean Payton might actually be good at developing wide receivers but they're not a tight end factory don't at me we're moving on New Orleans Saints tight end factory and that's gonna moving be moving on ma- to the Carolina that's Panthers. gonna be the name of the episode so <laughs> Carolina Panthers the Matt Rule regime tell me your thoughts here Mike so the Carolina Panthers became the first team in the modern era of the NFL draft to take all of their picks on one side of the football they take seven defensive players which was interesting because they addressed their offense pretty heavily in free agency. Teddy Bridgewater, Robbie Anderson, you already had DJ Moore, you already had Curtis Samuel, Christian McCaffrey got a nice cool extension, which was a horrible idea. Don't pay running backs. But Derek Brown, absolute stud at the top of the draft. Yurder Gross Matos, they take early in the second round. Nice little pass rusher. So you got your inside guy, your outside guy in the D-line. Jeremy Chen, the safety. I like this kid a lot. I think he'll have a day one impact. Troy Bride Jr., Troy Pride Jr., excuse me, fell into the fourth round. I had a third-round grade on him. I think he could come in and be pretty effective for Carolina. Kenny Robinson, one of the most interesting prospects in the entire draft. He was the only draft-eligible player that played in the XFL this year, and he made a few interceptions in the XFL. So he's got a year of pro football under his belt. I think that's pretty valuable coming in here in a year where we're not going to have off-season programs. This guy's already played professionally for a year this past season. I think that'll help him a little bit. They get him in the fifth round. Bravion Roy, 
played at Baylor under Matt Rule, which completely explains that pick. They add a corner in the seventh. I gave this draft a B, and I think Matt Rule and Joe Brady very early on are doing an excellent job reshaping this Panthers roster to be maybe not a great team in year one, but they're going to be a fun team in year one. I think they'll be a good playoff caliber team by year two. Yeah. Uh, again, you had most of my notes down as far as them taking defensive players. I will say that the Panthers are going to look entirely different in 2020 than what we've seen for really the past seven, eight years in Carolina. They lost Cam Newton, Luke Keekley, Ron Rivera left. He's now the coach of the Washington Redskins. Mario Addison, he is now on the Buffalo Bills. Greg Olson, he is now a Seattle Seahawk. So the rule regime in Carolina, really the only staple from last year there's two of them and it's DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey. The rest of the roster is entirely new. Robbie Anderson, Teddy Bridgewater are going to be big on the offensive side of the ball. Ian Thomas is a guy that they've had for a couple of years, kind of stewing beneath Greg Olson on that depth chart. And in limited action, he has been pretty productive. So he might be very solid tight end for them. So they went after the defensive side of the ball in this draft, which I loved. Anytime you lose, I equate the loss of a guy like Luke Luke Keekley, if I can say his name, I equate him to losing three guys on the defensive side of the ball because he's that important. And he's been a perennial all-pro player in the NFL. Really, he's in the defensive player of the year conversation year after year after year. So to see him retire at 20, how old is he, 28, 29? 28, I believe. Yeah, 28. Same, same ballpark as Andrew Luck with the unexpected retirement. I respected it because of the concussion history, but at the same time, it had a little bit of a surprise factor. I think the Carolina Panthers were a little bit surprised by this as well. So completely new look Panthers team. I I expect it to take a year to really mesh. And this year could be, you know, six and 10 or seven and nine, but I really like the direction that Matt rule and company are taking this Panthers team. I give them a B with this draft because Offensive side of the ball, they look pretty solid. It'll be interesting to see how Teddy Bridgewater performs in the new system. But defensively, they had some needs. I think Derek Brown, uh, Yetter Gross Matos, and Troy Pride particularly are guys that are going to come in for them and have instant impacts one way or another on the defensive side of the ball. You got something to chime in with here? Yeah, I do. I uh, just want to make a note about Matt Rule because uh, if you're a college football fan, you know Matt Rule pretty well. He went to Temple and Baylor, two programs that are not historically great programs. And the way Matt Rule kind of does things, he tears the thing to the ground. And usually the first year is pretty rough. The first year at Baylor, it went 1-11. and 11. It was not pretty. It was rough. By the last year at Baylor, they were competing for Big 12 championships in that last year, going, you know, toe-to-toe with Oklahoma this past season, who had a, was a bunch of guys get drafted every year. So Matt Rule, what's going to really happen here is th- this first year is going to be rough. And it's just going to be a matter of, who's going to be able to stick. And one of the guys who's really going to be put on the spot here is Teddy Bridgewater because we have a great upcoming quarterback class next year. And if the Panthers are picking in the top 10, don't be surprised if quarterback's the spot they look at next year if Bridgewater doesn't perform as well as Matt Rule's hoping. So this is going to be an interesting year and really a trial run for everybody on this roster just about except for Christian McCaffrey who's got that nice little long-term extension that he can bank on. And next year is when Matt Rule is going to bring in, you know, all of his guys. It's going to be his guys that are all in the building next year. And that's when you're really going to start to see results of this Carolina Panthers team turning a corner and heading back towards contention. Yeah. 
sums it up. I think Matt Rule was a great hire for them, and I'm excited to see how they operate moving forward. It's time to talk NFC North, and this is the widest range of outcomes as far as draft grades that I have for any singular division on this list. We'll start with the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears didn't have any first-round picks, and then with all the holes on that roster, decided to go tight end with their first pick in the draft, and that's despite having a ton of tight ends on the roster. So Nine before that pick, nine. Nine tight ends? On the roster before Cole Komet, so they have ten now. Brilliant. So the Bears' offense is going to be one quarterback, which we will see be either Nick Foles or Mitchell Trubisky in the fall, and then they're going to start ten tight ends just at every position. Uh, basically, I think is the model that they're going after. What What were your thoughts on this draft class, Mike? So let me start with my grade because I gave a D minus. It was It was not. It was it, when you go tight end and you have nine tight ends on the roster and that's your first pick of the draft. I got some real questions about what exactly you're trying to accomplish out there. I'm looking at you, Ryan Pace. You took Mitch Risky before Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. We already have questions about you, and then you take your tenth tight end with your first pick. Now they bounced back. Jalen Johnson with their second second round pick. I think is a, a really good get. He was on that Utah defense. He's the guy I thought was the best player on Utah's defense last year. I thought I had a first round grade on Jalen Johnson. I was surprised he didn't go in the first round, to be honest, since six corners did come off the board. He fell in the middle of the second round. I think Chicago is a really good player in him. Kindle Vildor in the fifth round, I think is another sneaky good corner. He was super productive. And I think he could come in and potentially be a day one starter for Chicago Bears. Everybody else in this draft class is kind of irrelevant. I don't think there's a single other player in this draft class that's going to have an impact whatsoever on the Chicago Bears. And I think they hit a lot of holes. So the fact that there's two, and then if Cole Komet wins the 10-man battle royale for the tight end job, three guys who are going to have an impact on your roster is a little concerning. Uh, so I give the Bears a D minus and – Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace uh, are, are on the hot seat for sure to start this season. And Mitchell Trubisky is obviously on the hot seat because Nick Foles is in the building now, and it's pretty much an open competition. So really, this is a, a critical year for a lot of, of the notable members of the Bears organization, and we're going to see who's going to make it on the other side after this season. Yeah, and I think if you're a Minnesota Vikings fan, as uh, my co-host here is, you have to be really excited because the other contenders in this division, and I don't think Detroit is quite there yet, were coming into this draft, Chicago and Green Bay. And both of them were absolute dumpster fires throughout the draft process. Cole Komet, 43, didn't understand it at all. Um, honestly, at this point for the tight end position, you know what they should do? Eight-round octagon match. Every round somebody's eliminated, you get stuck with two of them. Those are your two guys that you roster for the whole season. Good luck there. Uh, figure it out, Chicago. Can you get? Can you pull up a list of the tight ends that are on that roster? Because it's an absolute disaster. Yes, I can. So we have Ben Braunecker, Darian Clark, Jimmy Graham, who they signed to a big contract in free agency, by the way. Demetrius Harris, who they also signed in free agency. Former Kansas City Chief Demetrius Harris, former Brown last year. They had J.P. Holtz, who I think was their leading receiver at the tight end position last year. Jesper Horstead, also on the roster last year. Cole Komet, obviously, who they just took in the second round. Eric Saubert, who's more of a blocking tight end. Um, they had Patrick Scales, who, I'll just be honest, I've never heard of in my life. And then Adam Shaheen, who, breaking news, in case anyone didn't know, they took in the second round like three years ago. So you've taken a tight end in the second round 
two of the last three years on top of signing Trey Burton and Jimmy Graham to giant contracts in the last three years at the tight end position, and you still can't get any production for the position. It's remarkable how bad they are at identifying talent at tight end. They are most definitely not a tight end factory. Chicago Bears, D minus. I'm in a D plus. It was a disaster through and through. I liked Jalen Johnson, and that was about it. That, that was my one positive note. I liked the effort that was put into the defensive side of the ball with, and you have to remember, the Bears' dearth of picks this year, they're still feeling the hangover from the Khalil Mack trade when they traded a ton of draft capital to the Oakland Raiders for Khalil Mack. And no one's going to argue whether or not Khalil Mack is worth it. But right now, the Bears' defensive side of the ball, outside of Khalil Mack and Eddie Jackson, is nothing but holes. So... What what do we got with this team? I, I think the Bears might be in contention for the number one pick in the 2021 draft. What do you got, Mike? I think there's a lot of uh, more talent on this defense than you just gave credit for because I think Roquan Smith is a very, very good football player. And I think sure he's out. Team, I think Akeem Hicks is also a, a good football player. And they said Robert Quinn, who's been relatively productive as NFL. I, I think they should have drafted some offensive talent because God forbid, you know, if you wanted Mitchell Trubisky to ever be successful in the year where you're putting him on the hot seat, get him some weapons. Who is this guy throwing the ball to? Allen Robinson's great. He's a wide receiver one, but my God, is it a mess after that? Mike, how can you not expect him to be successful? He's got Taylor Gabriel and Anthony Miller. I'll give you one better. Taylor Gabriel's not even on the roster anymore. They got rid of him. He's gone. Uh, Who is this guy throwing the ball to? Ready for the receivers on this team? Because since we went through the tight ends, Reggie Davis is, is the first receiver here. Thomas Ives. Anthony Miller, Daryl Mooney, who they drafted, Cordero Patterson, Riley Ridley, Allen Robinson, Alex Wesley, and Javon Wims. That is atrocious, disaster, horrid, disgraceful. I never could imagine putting a young quarterback in a much worse spot than the Chicago Bears to put Mitchell Trubisky in to succeed. And by the way, their running game stunk last year, and they didn't even think about a running back at any point in this draft because they took David Montgomery last year, who was supposed to be good, and he was terrible too. So Bears, they're in a real – you know what? You're right. They're, they are going to be in contention for the number one pick, and it's a good thing because there's some great quarterbacks in next year's class, and we're going to talk about it at some point over the course of this podcast. Not this episode, but our podcast duration uh, that we hope goes for a long time. We'll talk about next year's quarterback class because I think there's a lot of guys who are future NFL starters in it, and one of them's going to be on the Chicago Bears next year. Yeah. And moving on, uh, the Detroit Lions, significantly better draft than the Chicago Bears, the Detroit Lions had. And going into the draft, I thought this might be uh, Matt Patricia phoning it in, trading the number three, three pick to New England, obviously. Which never happen. made sense for the record. Yeah, that was just the spiciest of spicy takes. But the Detroit Lions held on to pick three, and they held on to a majority of their picks, and I think they did a pretty good job with it. Yeah, so I gave the Lions a B-. minus. Didn't hate it. Didn't love it. Nice class. Jeff Okuda. That's all. That's all. Didn't hate it. Didn't love it. Nice class. The end. I should have just stopped there, but I'm not going to. Jeffrey Okuda, absolute stud. You know I love this guy. Lockdown corner. He's going to be better than Darius Slay ever thought about being in Detroit. DeAndre Swift, we hate running backs in the second round, but he's a nice player. But I still don't get why you took a running back in the second round. Julian Okwara, they have his brother on the team already. So that was cool. We have family reunions happening in the NFL. He goes in, he'll play with his brother on the edge. They take two straight guards, which in a draft that is bad at interior linemen, I can never imagine taking two straight guards. Quintez Cephas, I think is a lot more talented than his fifth round pick 
indicates, but he had some off-the-field trouble, but I'm not ESPN, so I'm not going to give you the full history of it. Just know he had some off-the-field trouble, and if you want to know more about it, Google it. I'm not going to give you the full summary. Jason Huntley, running back. So you took two running backs in one draft. See, that's just where I get really bad. This, that's probably why this is a B-, minus because I love Jeffrey Okuda so much, but you took two running backs when you have on Johnson on the team. just makes no sense to me. Uh, so overall, B-, minus, not bad, not great. Don't take two running backs in the same draft. In comparison to Chicago's D, I also gave the Lions a B minus, and really, I'm I'm much more whelmed not not overwhelmed or underwhelmed. I'm just whelmed by the Lions now that we talked about the Bears and Mike Rose brought me back down to earth a little bit because I was a big DeAndre Swift guy. I thought whatever team landed him was going to be really lucky. They're going to get a great player, you know, a future five to seven year running back. You're, you're set there. You got your workhorse. But then Detroit steps up and drafts DeAndre Swift at the start of the second round. And Mike, Detroit is where great skill players go to die. Like the last thousand yard rusher. I'm, I'm curious. This is a true trivia question for, you know, everyone at home who's listening can play along with as well. Curtis, can you tell me the last 1000 yard rusher for a season for the Detroit Lions? Reggie Bush. It was in fact, Reggie Bush in the year 2013. It's been seven years, guys. Seven in, years. In Detroit, I think in, in circa 2015 to 2016, they had a ridiculous stretch of like 40 or 50 games without they a 100 yard rusher. Yeah, yeah, without a 100-yard rush. They were rolling out Joik Bell every week as the starting running back. It was horrible. Yeah, so the Lions, having on Johnson, who has been injury-prone through his first couple years in the league, but has been productive when he's been on the field, it didn't make a lot of sense for them to go out and get DeAndre Swift. Especially and, since they haven't had a good defense literally a single time since Matt Stafford's won the quarterback of the Lions. Not once. And we want to talk about – Guys not being put in positions to succeed. Matt Stafford is a good NFL quarterback that I think gets thrown under the bus a lot of the time when it comes to the the top 10 to top 12 quarterbacks in the league discussion because Matt Stafford doesn't have winning, you know, as an argument for him. The Detroit Lions have never built a complete roster that allows Matt Stafford to go out there and and say, yeah, this year we were a contender. I I can't remember – how many times has Matt Stafford even been to the playoffs? Twice since he I was drafted? just one time. So Detroit has been perpetually – we talk about the worst-run franchises in the Sorry, league. I didn't give him enough credit. They've actually made it three times under Matt Stafford. Okay. So good, so, good on Matt Stafford, which is impressive because, A, we don't remember any of those teams because none of them were actually very good. And B, they got waxed first round. They haven't won they a got game, small, yeah. But that's a great testament to just how good Matt Stafford is. I, I just – I have so much – empathy for Matt Stafford. And, Matt Stafford's a really rare occurrence of a guy who was a number one overall pick and really lived up to the billing of a number one overall pick. He has done everything you could possibly ask out of a number one overall pick. He's been a, you know, you never have anything off the field happens with him. He's a great leader. He's uber productive. And when you put him in a position to be successful, he wins football games for you. The problem is the Detroit Lions are so incompetent at putting any of their star players in a position to be successful. That's why they had Kelvin Johnson and Barry Sanders, the two best players in the history of the franchise, retire before they turned 30. Yeah. For DeAndre Swift's sake, I hope it goes differently. But he's another guy that fits that mold of elite offensive weapon that I think his career is going go to go to waste in Detroit, just like Kelvin Johnson, just like Barry Sanders, and just like we're seeing with Matt Stafford. So interesting draft overall. I give him a B-. We're going to move on to Green Bay. And oh, I wanted we, to close with Green Bay. 
Can we move on to Minnesota and we? No, I want. I want to close out the division on a happy note. Okay. Green Bay. My main note on Green Bay is that the Packers suck at this. The Packers are so bad at the NFL draft the past couple of years. You know what the Packers did? I'm gonna. I'm gonna rant before Mike even goes on a rant because I need. I need to spend some of my energy that I got built up over here in uh, Buffalo, New York this, uh, this lovely evening. So the Green Bay Packers have Aaron Rodgers. We just talked about Matt Stafford getting the shaft. I don't know if there's another quarterback in the history of the NFL who's gotten the shaft as hard as Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers gets drafted, and he was in contention to be the number one overall pick, him and Alex Smith in 2005. Aaron Rodgers falls down the draft board, gets the shaft there. He loses millions of dollars on his first contract. And this is at a time when 2005 to 2010, the CBA allowed for rookies to get bigger contracts. So Aaron Rodgers loses a bunch of money on the first contract, goes into a situation where he has to sit and wait for three years behind Brett Favre's aging ass as he learns, you know, the the, the protocol in Green Bay, learns the system, learns everything about it so he can go out and to be, be the best fair, he can Brett be. To be fair, Brett Favre was still pretty good, but continue. Yep. Aaron Rodgers goes out there, and in the last 15 years, he has never had a skill position drafted for him in the first round. And this year, after the Packers make it to the NFC Championship game, they go out in the first round and they draft his potential replacement in Jordan Love, who's not even good, instead of giving him a weapon opposite of Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams was the only person on this offense last year who did a goddamn thing other than Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones. The receivers, they were starting – freaking people off the streets of Green Bay to throw catch passes from Aaron Rodgers. And really, it was just a horrid disaster and situation. And what do they do with their first couple of picks? They draft his replacement, and they draft a running back. And Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams were the best running back tandem in the NFL last year. So I don't understand what the Green Bay Packers are doing, but they're not putting Aaron Rodgers in a position to be successful. Nick Wright went on first uh, first things first today, and he said, I don't think there's a team in NFL history that has done as little for an all-time great quarterback to put him in a position to succeed as the Green Bay Packers. And he said that with the one Super Bowl title that Aaron Rodgers has won in Green Bay, he can't even think of a scenario on any other franchise in the league where a team would do less to ensure he won less Super Bowls. And that includes Aaron Rodgers as a Detroit Lion, Aaron Rodgers as a Cincinnati Bengal, Aaron Rodgers as a New York Jet, Aaron Rodgers as a Miami Dolphin. So what the hell is Green Bay doing? What are they doing? I gave them an F. This draft was despicable. It was garbage. I feel bad for Aaron Rodgers. The end of his career is going to be just as frustrating as how his career began. Love what you said there. So first, let me just tell you guys, I'm going to take great joy in bashing the Packers here as a Minnesota Vikings fan. I, I will start my first takeaway from the Green Bay Packers draft. I think it's hilarious. That's, that's my takeaway as a Vikings fan. Now let's really break this down. So Aaron Rodgers, like you said, they were, they were a game away from the Super Bowl last year. And we're not going to pretend like that game was close, but they were still a game away. Yeah. And so they go out this offseason – there's some nice free agent wide receivers. They got some money to spend. And who did they sign, Curtis? They signed Devin Funchess, who missed the entire last season with a broken collarbone. 
and we haven't seen Devin Funches be productive. Yeah, I was just going to say, Newton was winning let's, MVPs. let's take the, let's take the injury out of the equation. Devin Funches has never really been that good. Even when he was quote good for Carolina, I'm still ranting. Devin Funches was what? 63 catches, 840 yards and five touchdowns. Like he, he wasn't that good. For I'm just going to stop Carolina Panthers. It was remarkable how on the nose you just put that. Cause Devin Funches best season is 63 catches. <laughs> For 840 yards and eight touchdowns. So you were very spot on about Devin Funches. That was kind of nuts. Because I'm, I can tell people, he's not looking at these stats. He's staring me right in the eyes on this, on this call right now that we're having recording this on. So that was pretty nuts. So yeah, Devin Funches, not great. So that's, that's the new number two wide receiver in Green Bay. So then they turn around to get the draft, take Jordan Love. I think Jordan Love stinks. They traded up to get Jordan Love. So there's strike two, and strike three is your starting quarterback's Aaron goddamn Rodgers. So what the hell are you doing taking the quarterback in the first round when Aaron Rodgers? Late last year, people were like, Aaron Rodgers, MVP conversation? And you take his goddamn backup in the first round? Are you nuts? Second round, what do you do? You turn around and take a running back. And not even a good running back, really. Not a running back that was highly sought after in this draft. You take A.J. Dillon. Nice player. You know what the knock is on A.J. Dillon, Curtis? He can't catch passes. So guess what that means? He ain't helping Aaron Rodgers if he can't catch a pass. So what are they going to do? And then turn around round three, they take Josiah DeGuara, project tight end. Next day after the draft, Curtis, and I told you this this factoid, Packers come out and they say, you know, we want to use DeGuara as a Kyle Juszczyk type player, uh, like San Francisco used Kyle Juszczyk. So what you're telling me, Green Bay, is your first three picks were a backup quarterback, a third string running back, and a goddamn fullback in the year 2020. What are you doing? And then they take an inside linebacker around five who, you know, whatever. You take three straight offensive linemen when you have a pretty good offensive line already. So what was the point of that? And then by that, at that point, we're around seven, and there's no saving your draft when you screwed up the first eight picks. So uh, for when I did my notes, for best pick, I just put a question mark. because And for worst pick, I could have just put everybody. It's a disaster. The draft gate gets an F minus. That's my draft grade for the Green Bay Packers. An F minus wasn't even on the scale until today when the Green Bay Packers were able to put a draft class together of this, you know, caliber of pitifulness. And so Aaron Rodgers, like you said, is going to spend the remainder of his career not winning a thing unless he gets out of Green Bay somehow and goes to a, a organization that, quite frankly, is more competent than Green Bay. Because let's talk about it for a second. Green Bay has had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers back-to-back, right on top of each other. They have two Super Bowls to show for it. That is truly pathetic to have two of the best quarterbacks in the history of our game and only come out with one Super Bowl apiece for having those guys for the last – I mean, that's the last 30 30. years of your franchise. you got two Super Bowls with those guys. It's embarrassing. Tom Brady, who I would venture to say Tom Brady is not as talented. He's, He's won more. He's not as talented as Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers is. And he's won goddamn six because Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots organization maximized his talent for the most part, except for in recent years when he still found a way to win Super Bowls. And the Green Bay Packers, and the year that they did win the Super Bowl, it was all just Aaron Rodgers putting the team on his back. The whole team got hurt, and he's like, I got to get one, and he got it done. So the Packers, disgraceful, embarrassing, F-minus. Yeah, I have been enough, and – if I'm Green Bay, which they're not going to do because they've proven to be incompetent, but if I am the Green Bay Packers right now, I am calling the Dallas Cowboys, and I am saying, what the hell do you want for Amari Cooper or Michael Gallup? Because they need somebody to throw the ball to. 
Jimmy Graham Devin is gone. Funches. Jimmy Graham is gone. We hope Devin Funches if Je- if Devin Funches catches 60 passes this year and has like 700 yards and five touchdowns, that will be okay for a wide receiver two in that offense because they also have Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones to get the ball to. That would be passable, right, as a performance for Devin Funches. But if they go out and get Amari Cooper, who's happier in the world than Aaron Rodgers? But they're not going to do that. So that would be the the logical next step for the Green Bay Packers is to go out vulture one of dallas's receivers since they just drafted cd lamb but not gonna happen and aaron Rodgers is just gonna be miserable thought here so Devontae adams had 127 targets and caught 83 balls last year and really wasn't Devontae adams best season uh, because they ran the ball a lot and the next leading catch getter on this roster was aaron jones yep with 49 the next leading catch getter jimmy graham and he's gone right was Jamal Williams oh, okay. at 39. Then Jimmy Graham, who's gone. Then it's Alan Lazard with 35 catches. Alan yeah. Lazard, guys. Like, it's just, like Devin Funches is not going to cut it, man. That is yeah. not going to cut De- it. Devin Funches, you know who he is? He's Geronimo Allison. And they just had Geronimo Allison. They kicked him to the curb because Geronimo Allison isn't good at all. So uh, I'm done with the Green Bay Packers. It's remarkable, by the way, that the Packers and the Patriots, two very proud organizations who have a, a great history surrounding them, got easily my two worst draft grades. And, and moving on to one of my better draft grades, and I need some some serotonin in my veins right now. Holy shit, am I depressed talking about the Green Bay Packers. The Minnesota Vikings, we got a skull clap going here from Mike Rose, crushed this NFL draft. Not only did they hit – on their early picks, um, which I talked about as a, as a great qualifier just for a strong draft grade. If you hit on your first two to three guys, you have a good draft. The Minnesota Vikings hit on their first couple guys, and then they go out and they just accrue a crap load of picks, partly from the New Orleans States. They pick up a couple of picks elsewhere. What can you tell me about a draft that really did and function the way the, the Vikings needed to because they didn't have a lot of cap space going in, and they had a lot of holes. So you have to draft a lot of guys to fill those holes. They drafted, I think, 14 or 15 15 guys? players, which was 15 a seven-round NFL draft record. Yeah, so Minnesota actually figures to have a very good chance of rostering at least 10 of those guys heading into week one. What did you think about Minnesota's draft, Mike? Rick Spielman's a goddamn magician. He came into this offseason with no cap space, an aging roster, a team that really had hit its ceiling. And he managed to flip guys all over the place, make a bunch of trades, cut some guys, make some free agent signings. And all of a sudden, this is a young roster. This is a talented roster. And this is a team with, that ended up with 15 picks in this draft. And they have 12 already in next year's draft. Rick Spielman just did a fantastic job. We got Justin Jefferson and Jeff Gladney. Talked about them a lot on our first round recap. So I won't dive too much farther into it. Ezra Cleveland in the second round, a guy I had a late, uh, an early day two, late day one grade on. They gave him a 26 pick of the second round. He should come right in and compete for that starting left tackle job because Riley Reef is awful at it. And also, Ezra Cleveland blocked for Alex Madison at Boise State. So we have some built-in chemistry there. So we love that. Cameron Dantzler, when he went in the third round, I just kind of forgot because I, I liked him a lot in the pre-draft process. And I kind of got lost in the shuffle 
uh, to a certain point. He ran a slow 40. He had the slowest 40 of all the corners at the combine, and that is a big reason why he fell in the third round. But he has a lot of great tangibles. He's lengthy. He's the perfect corner for Mike Zimmer. I think he comes in as a great impact. I love the three guys they take in the fourth round. DJ Woonham, James Lynch should be immediate rotation defensive linemen. Troy Dye, really good inside linebacker. He reminds me a lot of former Minnesota Viking EJ Henderson. He had an interception every season he played at Oregon. And he's also a, a great run stopper. In round five, a little questionable. Harrison Hand, project player. K.J. Osborne really was just not a good pick. Uh, he's he's gonna he to me the Vikings took K.J. Osborne to be their primary return man because they knew they had this many picks and Mike Hughes is gonna have to be probably the number one corner this year. So that's that's where I think that pick comes in. Uh, and then one guy I want to talk about seventh round pick Kenny Willikies. So they get him at the 11th pick of the seventh round out of Michigan State. Curtis, let me, let's have a conversation because we were just talking about, you know, all these Big Ten, you know, pass rushers that were going off the board, right? Huh? Kenny Willekes, first team all Big Ten defense last year. The, the defensive lineman that made first team all Big Ten, A.J. Epineza, Yerder Gross Matos, Chase Young, Kenny Willekes. All three of those guys went in the first two days. Kenny Willekes falls into the Vikings' lap. In the, in the seventh round of this draft. The guy was remarkably productive, productive at Michigan State. He was really an underdog story. He's a former walk-on, and he worked his way to become a scholarship player, a five-year player at Michigan State, and he finished it off with a 10-sack season this past year at Michigan State. He finished his career 49 tackles for loss. This guy was uber-productive in a really a, a top-end conference. You know, we're not talking about a guy like – we talked about Curtis Weaver, who we liked in the fifth round, and he was uber-productive at Boise State. So you question, oh, you know, what kind of competition you play this? This guy played the Big Ten and was putting up numbers, you know, game after game. So I absolutely love this pick. I think he's going to have a great shot to make the roster. And he he very well, very well may be the guy who ends up replacing Everson Griffin. So overall, I give this draft an A-minus from the Vikings. I am thrilled with what they were able to do. They went into day three with 13 picks. They flipped two of them for a fourth and a fifth round pick in next year's draft already. Like I said, 12 picks for next year's draft and just a great job by Rick Spielman to work. And by the way, Curtis, they now have $12 million in cap space where it stands right now too after signing all the rookies and all the undrafted free agents. So a phenomenal job by Rick Spielman. Yeah, and you summed it up pretty well. I have a couple notes. So Cam Dantzler, you mentioned the slow 40 impacting his draft stock. Mississippi State, for not having a particularly strong season this year, they had a good secondary. And Justin Jefferson, one of his takeaways, he, tw- he tweeted after Cam Dantzler was uh, drafted and they became teammates in Minnesota. He tweeted, oh, this guy's a dog. Like, this guy can play, Cam Dantzler. Cam Dantzler held Jamar Chase, who's going to be the number one wide receiver out of the 2021 class, he held Jamar Chase to five catches for 48 yards against uh, Mississippi State this year. So, and in case uh, anyone's wondering for some perspective, if you don't watch college football, Jamar Chase this year had 84 catches for 1,780 yards and 20 touchdowns. Yeah. That's what Jamar Chase did this year. So he and was he held- won the Blanket Off Award for the best receiver in college football. Yeah, and he was held to 5 for 48 in a touchdown against Mississippi State. The Mississippi State defense held LSU to 36 points, which sounds like a lot, but LSU put up 37 or more points, 12 out of their 14 other games. So this was an offense that literally just did whatever the hell they wanted to people. And Mississippi State, their defensive side of the ball did their job. 
holding down what was a really talented skill position group between Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, Clyde Edwards, Elair, and some other guys that aren't even on my radar right now. So kudos to the Mississippi State defensive backs, and Cam Dantzler was a big part of that. So big pick for the Vikings in the third round. And I liked the James Lynch pick from Baylor there in the fourth round. I had a late second, early third round grade on him. He's not going to wow you when you watch the film. I think he had 22 sacks his last couple years at Baylor combined. And he's just productive. He's got a high motor. He's a Vikings kind of guy and really fills a need on that defensive front. He should slot in right next to DJ Wanham. They're going to be competing for some playing time. And I see Wanham as a hybrid defensive end, defensive tackle at the next level. And really, this draft class, and that's not even mentioning Kenny Willekes, they drafted so many good players on that defensive line between the three of them. And really, you look at this class, every single position group on the team, they added someone who can have a positive impact. You know, they got a wide receiver. They got a couple defensive backs. They got a backup quarterback from Iowa, Nate Stanley. That was a little questionable to me, but I didn't hate it. Uh, I hated that one, I'll be honest. I think Nate Stanley stinks, but I'm not real worried about it because he's going to be a practice squad guy, if we're just being honest. Yeah that deep in the seventh round you're at pick 249 you're six picks away or 244 so you're 12 picks away from the end of the draft you've already picked 12 guys what's what's the harm in throwing a dart on a qb if he can come in and be a practice squad guy or developmental backup project you know there's nothing wrong with it from my side uh from my vantage point at all really minnesota vikings here just did everything right love the minnesota draft i don't know just touching on james lynch james lynch and this just kind of goes – you could tell what the Vikings wanted to do in this draft. They took guys – maybe they didn't wow you with the uh, – the they weren't combine warriors no. uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But they produced on the football field. James Lynch led all draft-eligible players with quarterback pressures this year with 70, 70 quarterback pressures. That's an awful lot, Curtis. So these guys took a lot of, a lot of players that were uber-productive in college and figured to step right in and have – Big time impacts on a team that needed to hit home runs in their draft. They did just that. Absolutely. Vikings got an A minus from me. And that's one of the highest grades I gave. Really second only to the next team on our list, which is the Dallas Cowboys, who I think really had both of our highest grades of anybody in this entire draft. And this is with Jerry Jones sending in picks from his mega yacht. So what do you got for me on the Dallas Cowboys and their draft from uh, from this year, Mike? Jerry Jones should do every draft from his yacht because it's the best draft Jerry Jones has had in an awfully long time. They hit – I'm just going to be honest. They hit six day one starters, and I think, with their first six picks. Yep. C.D. Lamb, absolute stud. He's my number one wide receiver on the board. He comes off as the number three receiver on the board. You get him at the 17th overall pick. Unbelievable value. He's a top 10 talent in this draft. So that's great. Travion Diggs. I don't love Diggs, I'll be honest. And maybe there's a little Stefan Diggs bias in me there because that's Stefan's brother in case you didn't know. There's probably a little bit. He didn't wow me at Alabama, but he was a productive player. And at the 19th pick in the second round, that's still pretty good value for a guy who was thought by some people to be a potential first-round pick. Neville Gallimore, I can tell you a lot about this guy because this is an OU guy, and I'm an Oklahoma college football fan. This guy just wreaks havoc. He is just a force in the middle of the Oklahoma defense. And an Oklahoma defense that, quite frankly, didn't have a lot of guys that were uber-productive. But up the middle, they were great with Kenneth Murray and then Neville Gallimore up front. And he he really can be a game wrecker at times. So the Cowboys are getting a guy 
who really should have a big impact on this defense at a position where Dallas has some nice defensive tackles, but I don't think they have a big-time impact defensive tackle. I think Gallimore can be that in the third round. Reggie Robinson had no business dropping all the way to the fourth round. I could make a case that Reggie Robinson's better than Travion Diggs, and he goes two rounds later. So great value for the Cowboys. Tyler Beadies. I thought he was a second-round pick, center. I think he's every bit as good as Cesar Ruiz, who went in the first round. They get him in the fourth round out of Wisconsin. Travis Friedrich just retired this year out of Wisconsin. It just could be a seamless replacement at that center position. And then Bradley Anna, uh, Curtis, you just heard that stat where I told James Lynch had 70 quarterback pressures. Bradley Anna on the Utah defense, he had 61 quarterback pressures. He had double-digit sacks this past year. He was an absolute force. He's a guy who some people thought would be a, a second-round pick. He goes in the fifth. It's just unbelievable the value they got. And then we just won't even talk about their seventh-round pick because they took a quarterback from James Madison, who probably won't make the team. But shout-out to Ben DiNucci for being part of the best class on the board, even though he had nothing to do with it. So the Cowboys, they get an A, six home runs of Ben DiNucci. Cowboys get an A for this draft class. Mike Rose gets an F when it comes to accurately pronouncing people's names because we have – Travion Diggs, Travis Friedrich, we have uh, Bradley Anna. Like, he, he's just throwing shit at the board right now, and he's hoping it sticks as far as pronunciation. So Trayvon Diggs, Stefan's brother, liked that pick a lot, a lot more than Mike did, because I felt like he was another one of those guys. We talked about Christian Fulton, A.J. Terrell, who was kind of in that conglomerate of second-tier corners that could have flown off the board anywhere between late first round to late second round. So at that point in the second round, why not go get a guy who profiles just like everybody else, but he comes from a team that's winning all the time in Alabama. He knows the winning culture. And right now the Dallas Cowboys desperately need players who come from winning, winning cultures, because this is a team that has been so talented. It feels like for a decade and they haven't won shit. Am I wrong? I, I don't, I don't know if I'm, Standing no, alone on this island. By the way, I just wanted to find myself quickly. I've always called him Travion, and I don't know why, and so I apologize <laughs> to Diggs for doing that. I've always called him Travion. I don't have a good reason of why that's the case, but I probably will always call him Travion Diggs. I just I can't help it. It's one of those things, you know, how when you know they say it takes a long time to break a habit. I've I've heard about this guy for years as a Stefan Diggs, you know, fan brother. in Minnesota, yeah. and this is his brother. So I and I've always called him Travion, and I just can't get myself to not call him that. Really, the biggest crime here was uh, perennial all-pro offensive lineman Travis Frederick, which isn't even a difficult name to pronounce because it's just Frederick. I mean, Frederick Douglass, you got traditional U.S. basic history there. We've heard the name Frederick since we were born, and you're calling him Travis Friedrich. Like, this is just I – don't, I don't know what you're trying I've to I've always called him Travis Friedrich, too. So, listen, we've stacked all the names that I have an incorrect pronunciation for that I can't break at this point in my life all into the same section of this episode, and it's unfair to me. I feel like I am being called out, and I don't deserve it. Uh, I apologize to Travis Frederick and Trayvon Diggs. There we go. That's beautiful. Just chef's kiss right there. Yeah, the Dallas Cowboys crushed this draft, and that was the whole point of this conversation to begin with. Uh, C.D. Lamb, going to be an instant impact guy. The Dallas wide receiver room, find me a better position group in football. Like, period. Uh, You got C.D. Lamb. Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, really the Green Bay Packers should be offering their individual homes just for one of these guys, like millions of dollars of cash bonuses, all the future draft picks. The the Green Bay Packers should be looking at the Dallas Cowboys skill positions and just be drooling right now because imagine 
Aaron Rodgers starting at quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys in 2020. It'd be fantastic. By the way, I just got to apologize again because I butchered Tyler Biadash, his name as well. I called him Biadash. Like, I, I really did a poor job on the names here. I feel really bad. As you should. But Dallas, what, just one entity in this podcast right now that shouldn't feel bad is the Dallas Cowboys. We're talking about them. Great draft. Highest on my board. They get an A++ from me because, really, their first six picks were all of incredible value. Guys that shouldn't have been inv- available at that point in time that were, and uh, just taking the best player on the board. Let's talk a team that I thought had an interesting draft, the Philadelphia Eagles, and what your thoughts are on this group of guys that they brought into uh, the city of brotherly love. Interesting, I think, is an understatement on the Philadelphia Eagles. So we knew the Eagles were going to go wide receiver at pick 21. If they didn't go wide receiver at pick 21, like the city was going to burn worse than when they won the Super Bowl. Yep. So they take Jalen Rieger, who I don't know if I, – I, I didn't have a first-round grade on Jalen Rieger. I like Jalen Rieger. I don't hate the fit, and I think he'll be a good player because Carson Wentz makes everybody around him significantly better. He's highly underrated quarterback. So speaking of the quarterback position, they turn around around two and take Jalen Hurts. And I'm just going to be honest, Curtis. The more I've thought about this – I'm starting to come around a little bit. And I still don't think it was smart. And I still think there's better players you could have taken at this spot. And we're going to ignore the fact that I really like what the Eagles did with the rest of their draft for a second. Just focusing on Jalen Hurts in a vacuum. Carson Wentz has – the Eagles have been in the playoffs three straight years, Curtis. And Carson Wentz has thrown three passes in the postseason. That's a problem. That's a real issue. And so if Jalen Hurts can come in, and you know what? It's not even the point of Jalen Hurts having to start games when Carson Wentz gets hurt. It's that for 10 to 15 plays a game, Jalen Hurts can come in and maybe take some pressure on Carson Wentz where he doesn't have to take a hit and he doesn't have to make a play, and Jalen Hurts can go and make a play. And maybe, just maybe, this preserves Carson Wentz to the point where he can finish a postseason game. And if not, they have Jalen Hurts who can come in and finish that postseason game, who is not Josh McCown at the very least. Because last year, the Eagles made the playoffs, and they had to roll out Josh McCown in the playoffs. And that really is a problem because Josh McCown was coaching Philadelphia high school football before they pulled him off of his, off the street to come and start that game for him. That's an issue. So as important as the quarterback position is, I can't really argue with the fact that back quarterback was a huge need on this roster especially when it has proven to be so important for this team over the last few years. Because the difference between a good backup quarterback and a bad backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles is a Super Bowl championship and a first-round exit in the last three years. Moving on with the roster draft class, Davion Taylor, nice edge rusher, Kayvon Wallace, nice safety. Jack Driscoll should uh, learn from some of those good guards that they have in there, Brandon Brooks, maybe Jason Kelsey at center and eventually take over. John Hightower and Quez Watkins. In case you didn't know, the Eagles want fast wide receivers. Those guys are both burners. And they also trade for Marquise Goodwin on this day. And they took another guy like that's an interesting project. And the Eagles love project tackles. Prince Tega Wanagu. I probably butchered his name too. But no, I you didn't. That was good. So I nailed that one. We'll never know how this happens. Anyways, they get him at the end of the sixth round. I think he's an interesting prospect and a developmental piece for a team that is very good at developing offensive linemen. They have one of the best lines in the NFL. So, I gave it a B-, and the Jalen Hurts pick, it's a little more excusable than my initial reaction. A little more. Okay. So, 
Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. I'm just tired at this point in the pod. But <laughs> lots to unpack here for the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Hurts, love the player, don't know about the fit. And I think that people are talking about him being a 10 to 15 play guy for Carson Wentz. One thing I wish NFL teams would do is stop complaining about their injury-prone guys and start investing in better training staffs because I've seen how much that pays off. The Buffalo Bills the last two years have had the best training staff in the league, and the Buffalo Bills had no critical players on IR last year at all. And the Philadelphia Eagles, year after year, it just seems like injuries get to them, whether it's Alshon Jeffrey, Carson Wentz, Zach Ertz, Nelson Aguilar, Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson had an injury last year that had no business sidelining him for the duration of the season. He had a core muscle injury, should have been four to six weeks. Somehow it spiraled. I get he's an older player and he's, you know, in the twilight days of his career. But Philadelphia, I have questions about the legitimacy of that training staff or if when they're putting their roster together, they really just don't give a shit if a guy can play 16 games or not. Regardless of that being a point, Jalen Hurts, I don't hate that pick as much as most people do. Like Mike said, I'm warming up to it a little bit. Some people are saying, you know, they're going to use him in a Taysom Hill package, which, okay, but Taysom Hill was an undrafted free agent that was brought into New Orleans, and Sean Payton is just incredible at not only breeding tight ends, but also designing packages for his guys to succeed, whether it's Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Taysom Hill, Ted Ginn Jr., Drew Brees. If you're a skill position player – in New Orleans offense, we saw it with Teddy Bridgewater too last year. Sean Payton is going to play to your strengths. And that's what Taysom Hill is. I haven't quite seen that 100% in Philadelphia outside of the Nick Foles, Carson Wentz project. At quarterback, they do a good job, but I haven't seen it from everybody in unique scenarios. So Jalen Hurts, if they're going to use him like a Taysom Hill, it'll be an interesting experiment. I don't know that you can justify a second-round pick with it. Now, you mentioned the receivers they took. John Hightower, Quez Watkins. They're burners. That's what they do. They're mini Deshaun Jacksons. The Philadelphia Eagles, correct me if I'm wrong, I think they have something like 88 guys under contract right now, and five of those players are carbon copies of Deshaun Jackson. They got Deshaun Jackson, they got Marquise Goodwin, they got Jalen Rager, John Hightower, and Quez Watkins. So I don't know what the Eagles are doing late in the draft. It's like, you know what, this guy's fast. Like, let's just go full Oakland Raiders here and take him. But like, if we're being honest, when you watched the Eagles last year, and I watched the Eagles a lot because I like watching Carson Wentz play. They had nobody who could get down the field. So I don't blame them for going a little all out on just getting guys who can run straight fast because they had no one who could do it last year because Deshaun Jackson decided he didn't want to play last year and he was he's old as dirt. And Marquise Goodwin's kind of old too. So you take three young guys and Jalen Rieger can do more than just run straight straight fast. Yeah. Just, you know, one more credit than that. Yeah. But he he's in that mold where he can he can have a Deshaun Jackson-like role, but they had no one who could get downfield. He was thrown to tight ends and Greg Ward. It was just awful. So, honestly, makes a lot of sense to me to want to do that if I'm the Philadelphia Eagles. I just, I'm, I'm tired. I, I don't know what to make of this. I honestly, I have 31 grades on my list here in my notes, and the Eagles are blank. I still haven't decided how to grade this draft. What'd you end up giving him, Michael? Give him a B-. minus. I think I'm going to give him a C+. Plus. I just... 
I'm whelmed by this draft class. I'm not underwhelmed. I'm just whelmed. Uh, let's talk New York Giants. And New York Giants, we and we gotta. I want to speed a little bit. I think we have some good material on the Washington Redskins group, so I don't. I want to do them justice. But for the sake of time, let's get through the Giants in a couple minutes. But New York Giants, Dave Gettleman had a good draft class here. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think he had a really good draft class. I gave him a B plus. Andrew Thomas, we talked about him way more than we ever needed to talk about him on the first round recap. So I'm not even going to talk about him here. Xavier McKinney should have been a first round pick. I don't know why everyone hates safeties. I talked about this in the first part. Everyone hates safeties for no reason. He's a good player. He'll help this team out a lot. Playing back there with Jabril Proper, two safeties who can do a little everything. Matt Parrott, a little bit of a project tackle, but he could be a future right tackle for the Giants. Shane Lemieux at guard, this guy who was blocking for Justin Herbert. I like him. Could be a future player for them. They took some interesting edge rushers in Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin. And they took a couple interesting inside linebackers in TJ Brunson and Tay Crowder. Honestly, first three picks I think were home runs. You got some good projects behind them. And at the end of the day, you got some guys who could block for Daniel Jones, which really the worst problem for the Giants last year, other than the defense being pretty banged up, was that no one would block for Daniel Jones. And he would fumble, and the opposing offense had to go three yards to score a touchdown. So, And no one would block for Saquon Barkley either. As a Barkley fantasy owner, it was very frustrating to watch him just dance around the backfield and lose five yards every play. Yep. So, great draft for the Giants. They took care of the most important assets on their team, which are Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. So the New York Giants, and we'll talk about this a little more. I think they had the best value pick of the draft with Xavier McKinney coming off the board in the second round. He was a top 15 guy for me. And it desperately fills a need that they've had since Landon Collins left that team. So he, he slots in pretty seamlessly. Their first three picks, I think, were home runs. You touched on it. And if you have three home run picks, the rest of the draft doesn't matter. I think they still did a good job filling out their roster and I think they really focused late rounds on the uh, linebacker position they took four in the last two rounds I believe so with that being the case at least one of those guys you would think eventually pans out and amounts to something in the NFL and that's definitely a position of need for them so I think they did a good job taking flyers where they should take flyers and really just making sure they got their first three picks right definitely weird I, I still think Andrew Thomas was a little bit of a reach he was safe maybe he could have done better at pick four Overall, though, solid job by Dave Gettleman and that regime in New York. Last but not least, our last team to get to here, the Washington Redskins. And, uh, Mike, I think we have more notes on these guys than anybody else because what even was this group of players? I, I think I, I will say early, I think they did a good job. But have we? has there been a team – awarded hard knocks yet this year i believe they gave it to the la's both the la's in the, conjunction with the each la's eh, not a bad choice for my money i want this hard knocks just to be this washington redskins rookie class because holy shit is it interesting like fill me in so let's just let's start with chase young because chase young's done obviously can't can't mess up that pick that was chase a great young pick. is as of today chase young is the best player on the washington redskins period yeah, honestly, that seems pretty valid. So, we love Chase Young. They didn't have a second-round pick. They turn around the third round. They take one of the most fascinating prospects in this draft to me, running back wide receiver hybrid Antonio Gibson out of Memphis. Curtis, let me just tell you what Antonio Gibson was able to do at Memphis last year because he didn't get the ball a whole awful lot, but when he did, he was a goddamn playmaker. This guy had 71 touches last season, 38 of them were receptions, 33 of them were carries. He turned that into 1,104 yards of offense and 12 
touchdowns. 17% of his touches went for a touchdown. You want to talk about an offense that has been stuck in the mud and hasn't been able to make big plays in recent years. And the first time it really felt like the Redskins ever made a recent play in the last five years was Terry McLaurin last year. It's like, wow, maybe they found somebody. Here's a guy who's going to come in and make some big plays for a Redskins offense that is starving for them. They turn around, they take Sadiq Charles. He had some off-the-field stuff. That's why he fell. He's an NFL caliber starting offensive tackle. You get him Today. in the fourth round, that's yeah. great value. Antonio Gandy-Golding. This is, wow. This guy should just be the Dosake's most interesting man in the world commercial. Because this guy is one of the, just some of the most insane things you ever heard. So Antonio Gandy-Golding, first of all, he went to Liberty. We love the Flames. Super productive player at Liberty. Okay. Antonio Gandy Golding has bowled a perfect game. Bowled a perfect game after two weeks of being a bowler. Can we talk about this? I have bowled. Little known fact about Curtis Henry. I have been an active bowler for 10 years. I've done well. I've won a couple tournaments. Nothing too snazzy. My high game is 299. I've done it twice. So 300 is damn near impossible to do. And this guy went out there for two weeks and said, hold my beer. Like, oh, like, honestly, fuck me, right? Like, I guess, like, I don't know what else to say because I've been trying my whole life and I haven't been able to do that. But carry on. I said 10 years has actually been 15. I started when I was nine. So, so absurd. continuing with Antonio Gandy Golding. This guy solved the Rubik's Cube in under a minute. They asked him how he solved it so fast. Curtis, you know what he said to him? He said, why well, read the manual? Didn't you guys read the manual? No, I did not know there was a Rubik's Cube manual, but apparently we all should have read it because that thing's like impossible. This guy did it in a minute with no problem. Yeah, can we talk about like, most interesting nugget out of this whole thing? And he's fascinating just as a human. I, I, if we can, Antonio Goldigan – Gandy Golding, excuse me. I would love to have this guy on the podcast because he just sounds fascinating and, and really. I, I we're gonna put up a Twitter poll. Honestly, who in the world knew there was a manual to a Rubik's cube? I think that would help a lot of pe- people, especially a lot of nine-year-olds in the 1990s who really just struggled with the goddamn thing. I was one of them. I I don't know what's going on there, but I had a Rubik's cube once. Gold. I never solved it. I threw it away. I gave up. Like. Apparently, yeah, I'm going to put them back in the right places, right? Right, like it's over. Yeah. So he also does gymnastics, juggles. He can juggle as well. I didn't even mention that to you when I gave you these notes the other night, but he can juggle. And on top of that, he studied graphic design at Liberty. He's an artist. He paints. The guy's just like a freak of nature. He's just good at everything. He also hit the goalpost from the 50-yard line, throwing a football on his knees. This guy is just insanely talented in a number of areas and if you're wondering if he was any good at football uh this past season at liberty he played 13 games caught 80 passes had 1396 yards and scored 10 touchdowns so this guy's just basically good at everything i'm incredibly jealous of the fact that he's good at everything without really even having to try basically it sounds like so fascinating pick love this guy the redskins got a big time playmaker and also the most interesting human on the planet earth Every single player on the Washington Redskins should be worried about their girlfriends and wives leaving them for Antonio Gandy Golden because why wouldn't you? I mean, this guy has everything going for him. And I mean, just wow. Objectively, he's a pretty attractive dude, too. Like, literally, it's like God just kind of threw together a human and said, 
yeah, I fuck with it. And then just like dropped him onto the planet. And, and it was Antonio Ganygold. And then he threw, he threw him to uh, Liberty when nobody really thought to look there. And now here he is in the NFL draft. When we talk about day three players to come out of this draft class in four, five, six years, Antonio Ganygolden is one of them that I think is going to be a perennial Pro Bowl player, just an absurd athlete. He's probably going to be the whole Washington Redskins offense at some and point. I mentioned in the near he was future. six foot four. Yeah, he's massive. And what are you running the forty? Like a four four nine something stupid. Yeah, it was not slow. So, what are we doing? Like, I don't know how this guy fell in the fourth round. I'm taking him second round based on the Rubik's Cube thing alone, because the Rubik's Cube is a much better indicator to ran me. ran a 4.6, by the way. So not, four, not a burner, but 4.6 at six foot four ain't bad. No, it's not. And guys in that category, Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins, and I mean, it's not, you know, a red flag if you, if you have a huge body like that. T. Higgins ran about that time too. So Antonio Gandy-Golden, right? That, that Rubik's Cube – as far as a litmus test, to me, that's way more indicative than any Wonderlick could ever be as far as how smart somebody actually is. He read the manual. <laughs> he read the manual. Unbelievable. All right. Overall draft class. Final Great. note. Wait, I have one more note on Antonio Gandy Golding. Yeah. It never ends. He also has been working out with Chris Carter and Anquan Bolden for like the last three years. So if you want to, you know, learn to be a good NFL receiver, I guess you could find worse guys to work out with than Hall of Famer Chris Carter and former Super Bowl champion Anquan Bolden. And future Hall of Famer Anquan and, Bolden. And, right, and most likely a future Hall of Famer Anquan Bolden. I believe he's a Hall of Famer. You obviously do as well. So really, this guy has it all working for him. I we can't tell you a single negative on the guy. I love the player. And Washington, I said they needed some playmakers. They get two of my favorite players in the whole draft in Gibson and Gandy Golden. So overall, I gave this draft a B-plus Kalike Hudson, by the way, off the edge. They have a ton of guys up front in Washington already, so he's going to have to battle to make the team. But if he does make the team, I think he has a, a chance to be a, a nice player for them. Yeah. It, I don't disagree. They drafted three edge guys between Hudson, Smith-Williams, and Chase Young. I mentioned after round one that Ron Rivera loves drafting guys to play on his front seven as a defensive-minded head coach. So that's kind of a thought, train of thought there. I gave him a B-plus as well. I loved it. Winners and losers. By the way, the Redskins have like eight first-round picks on their defensive line now. Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, Chase Young, Jonathan Allen. They have a ton of guys. That was, they don't actually have eight, but they have four. And they have a lot of talent in that front seven. You got Ryan Kerrigan, who's a he's a little bit up there in age, but he's a, he's a Pro Bowl, all-pro caliber player. So, really, the Redskins front, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if Dwayne Haskins can take a stop and Gibson and Gandy Golding can, can add some things to this Washington offense and this front plays like it's capable of playing and Chase Young has a Bosa effect where he comes in and makes all the guys around him better the way Nick Bosa did for the 49ers, this could be a team that takes a big leap next year. And I never thought I'd say that with Daniel Snyder still owning the team. But they got a real good coach around Rivera. I think this is a team to watch in a division – where we, we like the Cowboys and the Eagles, but I don't think either one of us is sold on the Cowboys or Eagles. Yeah. So I think Washington's a team to keep an eye on, especially with that seventh playoff team. Yeah, well. and that's what I was going to point out, is that now that we have seven, and I think the NFC is a lot more top-heavy moving into this year than they have been in years past. And they, I think there's five teams that stick out to me in the NFC. Uh, we have the 49ers. We have the New Orleans Saints, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We have... Maybe the Seattle Seahawks could be thrown into that discussion. 
and I really like the Minnesota Russell Wilson. And I really like the Minnesota Vikings too. So those five teams, I think, are all eleven-plus win teams. And then inevitably, there will be a sixth team that wins ten games in the NFC. And whether that is Green Bay, Dallas, Philly, is yet to be seen. I think the seven seed in the NFC could be an eight or a nine win team. And I can't look at this Washington Redskins team and say that's a team that can't win nine games. Like I just can't do it, especially since they had the weaker strength of schedule because they were so bad last year. So like the Washington Redskins, I'm not going to speak this into existence. I think they're at least a seven and nine squad this year with some upside. It's going to be a, a team similar to uh the Buffalo Bills, diet Buffalo Bills, their, their roster is not nearly as good as Buffalo's right now, but they will go as far as Dwayne Haskins allows them to go. And if he takes a step forward this year and he doesn't make mistakes, uh, you know, makes plays a la Josh Allen did last year, doesn't hold the team back, doesn't prevent them from winning games, the defensive front under Ron Rivera could take a giant step forward. This could be a top 10 defense. Easily. And by the way, just in case you didn't know this, because I'm just discovering it, because I was trying to figure out the other word, where the hell Ronald Darby signed. I found him. He's a Washington Redskins. Yeah. Ronald Darby, not the greatest player, but uh, he's going to be the number two corner because they also acquired Kendall Fuller, who's a really good cornerback. Yeah. Came from Kansas City, was their number one last year. There, There's a lot of talent on this defense. Uh, a guy I didn't even mention, Matthew Ionandis, on the defensive line is a, is a monster, and he was not a first-round pick, but he's turned into maybe their best player on the D-line until Chase Young gets there. So they have a good offensive line. Like you said, it's can Dwayne Haskins take that leap? I think he can. I'm just going to be honest. I really like Dwayne Haskins. I like the upside. I'm glad they didn't take Tua Tagovailoa in this draft. I think this could be the surprise team of the NFL. Yeah, and that's a question I have for the end of the show. I think we'll agree on the Washington Redskins. Winners and losers from the NFL draft. Give me one team from each conference that you thought won and one team from each conference that you thought lost? Uh, my two winners, Dallas, Cleveland. I think they both did a great job. They didn't make any crazy moves. They didn't have to make any trades. They sat right in their slots. They let the value of a deep draft class fall into their laps, and they hit a good pick just about every time on the board. My losers, New England Patriots, Green Bay Packers. I just don't know what the plan was for either of those organizations. <laughs> coming into this draft, but it wasn't a plan that was meant to be successful. Hell, they might not have had a plan at all. I have no idea. It was not pretty. It we was... had Belichick's dog making picks. We didn't care. And, you know, I, I ranted about New England Patriots in the first part of this, you know, episode, and I'm going to try and avoid doing it right now because I'm getting real close. Patriots, they suck at drafting. They do. They're not a good at drafting. And the Packers, quite frankly, this was, re- this was a bad draft that you could have put together. So those are my two losers. So I'm going to try to – differ a little bit just for the listeners at home the Cowboys and Browns definitely hot my list two winners Baltimore Ravens I think that they're continuing to put Lamar Jackson in the best possible situation for him to succeed see it with Dobbins being Ingram's replacement Dobbins and Lamar Jackson might be the quarterback running back tandem for the next five years in the NFL when we talk about numbers because they're going to be a scary good running offense Like, last year, this is crazy to think about. Last year, the Baltimore Ravens ran as a team for 3,200 yards, and that was in the upper echelon of all-time rushing offenses in the NFL. That might be the lowest number that the Ravens post with regard to rushing yards for the next five years. So, 
remains to be seen. I still think they're on first team like Lamar Jackson a lot. I know you do as well. And I think they did a really good job filling in the gaps with some wide receiver talent. They drafted Dobbins. They got Patrick queen who we both like a lot. They got an A for me. I obviously love the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to give you the Minnesota Vikings as my winner from the NFC uh, as a secondary. They get the silver medal in comparison to the Dallas Cowboys. I knew you weren't going to give me the uh, the biased take and say the Minnesota Vikings had a better t- draft than the Cowboys. I don't think either of us think that's true. actually true, yes. So uh, Minnesota, I think, would be the second best team in the NFC for my liking as far as what they were able to accomplish over the weekend. In my losers, you got Green Bay and New England. They, they were my they were my lowest grades, but I will include Atlanta in that mix because I just was so underwhelmed by the Atlanta Falcons. So I feel bad for Atlanta because I wouldn't have them in my losers. You know, you can have New England, Green Bay. I'll give you I'll give you another loser: the Los Angeles Chargers, because Justin Herbert's not good, yeah. and they gave up way too much to get Kenneth Murray. So there's there's a AFC loser. So you can have the Patriots as your AFC loser. <laughs> all righty well uh that's that's about all we had as far as the draft coverage it has been extensive it has been a long what has now amounted to three episodes on this nfl draft but really a time of the year that mike and i both enjoy and we love we love talking about this stuff because uh during coronavirus a we got no live sports on we, we would usually be talking about the nba and nhl playoffs right now that ain't happening so we don't we don't got much else. So moving ahead, we're, we're definitely excited to delve into some other things in the sports world because there will be news coming out here in the next couple of weeks, uh, transition plans for leagues as they move forward with their respective seasons amid COVID-19. It's going to be fascinating to watch the MLB, the NHL, the NBA, uh, even sports like golf and tennis, what's going to happen there as we try to get back to normal uh, in the next few months. So we'll keep you posted on that. A lot that. of optimism in baseball and golf, it sounds like, seem like the most optimistic that I've heard that they're going to be able to get going within the next month or so, which is really, really good news. Absolutely. And I think baseball has a unique opportunity based on how they do the, uh, the spring training leagues to use a similar model to actually put together uh, a semblance of a season, which if you're a fantasy baseball guy like myself or Mike Rose, you're really fired up about it. We had some great fantasy baseball drafts back in February before this all happened. So, And I will say another great opportunity for baseball. There's not going to be fans in the stands. There will not be fans in any stands of any sporting event for, I don't think probably another year. Future. I don't know about you. The foreseeable. foreseeable future. That's a good way of putting it. So great opportunity for baseball. They had microphones on players during spring training this year. People loved it. It was super entertaining. The players were entertaining. We don't get to see MLB players be entertaining. Most people, if you saw Mike Trout on the street, you wouldn't know who he is, most people, the average person, because no one no one knows who these guys are. So it would be cool if we had Mike's during the season, if the players would go along with it. I think that would add an interesting dynamic to the broadcast, and I think it would be a great opportunity for baseball to increase their brand and you know get their stars more noticed. Yeah, and that's definitely an impact that – the XFL had with their success of uh, personable players and the live interviews during games. So uh, definitely a change in how we're going to, you know, consume sports uh, as, as fans. So really it's just going to be fascinating. Uh, I know right now it's a tough time with uh, all that's going on. I know me and Mike are going a little stir crazy. The NFL draft was a a pretty good holdover to uh, feed into our sports addictions, but we're definitely going through some severe withdrawal at this time. And uh, we know a lot of people are right there with us. So 
Uh, on that note, any parting words for the listeners at home, Michael? I'm looking forward to, you know, episodes moving forward. Like you said, discussing some, some other things. Draft coverage is over, but the NFL draft truly is one of my favorite events of the entire year. So I really did enjoy this, and I hope you guys enjoy these uh, couple episodes that we put together for you. Absolutely, and I'm right there with you, Michael. And uh, moving forward, we're going to start maybe looking at some some guest voices to have with us on the podcast so stay tuned for that i think we have an exciting announcement later on coming at you in the week regarding guests that we hope to have here at guys like sports so if you haven't done so already follow us on twitter we're at guys like sports underscore follow us on instagram we're at guys like sports and uh yeah we look ahead we look forward to moving ahead with all of you at home parting words mike skull baby skull to the bowl i'm feeling good Skull of the Bowl, I'm going to go with the vintage Big Truss. For Mike Rose, I am Curtis Henry. We're out.